Hello and welcome to the 250, the IMDb Top 250 Movies of All Time podcast with myself, Darren Mooney, and... Andrew Quinn. Hello and welcome, listeners old and new, mostly new, we're guessing. Yes, well, welcome to the new and improved. Yes, and rigorously and carefully structured podcast. We've been listening back to our yeah, first episode. This, this ain't your granddaddy's uh, IMDb. Top 250 podcast. No. No, no, we're shaking not. things up here. Um, so we had a bit of a listen to our last couple of podcasts. We think they're great. We think they're fun. We think they're playful or whatever. But we think we might need to impose a little bit more structure uh, on there. So this week we're going to give it an attempt. To... So this week is the behind the baseball, <laughs> inside baseball. Uh, but um, yeah, the VH1 behind the podcast. It turns um, out everybody working on the podcast hated everybody else. Yeah, everything was going fine after those first two episodes until, until tragedy fell off struck. The rail, yeah, yeah. Um, and it went all meta for, <laughs> for one episode the, that nobody for the liked. First one minute of the third episode. <laughs> okay. Uh, so anyway, just in case there are any listeners out here who are not familiar with the podcast, if this is your first time listening, or even if you've listened and forgotten, uh, what we're doing is we're tracking through the top 250 movies of all time as listed by IMDb. Picking a random one each week and watching it and talking about it. This week, we picked Andrew. Yes. Which is a little indie film that neither of us had ever heard of before we sat down to watch it. What's the name of the guy? Steve. Simon. Simon Spellburn. Simon Spellman. Spellburn. 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 Haven't heard anything else. He did Etty. Yes. Um, yes. Et? Et, yeah. Yes. Yes. The, the movie with the... The, the with immigrant the, story. With, it's, yes. It's a story about an immigrant who arrives yes. in America and has to find a place in the world. It's a very touching, small-scale thing. Yeah, he, 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 he also did um, Schindler's List. <laughs> <laughs> yes, we, we are talking about Steven Spielberg. Yes, we are. Just to be clear. And we have both seen Jaws. Um, yeah. Which is, is interesting, because that's one of the joys of the 250s, that sometimes you get films neither of us have seen, sometimes you get films one of us hasn't seen, sometimes you get films that we've all seen multiple times. Yeah, yeah. Well, you will always meet people who haven't seen these movies. But I, I, I think with the likes of Jaws, they're aware that... That it exists. <laughs> that, that, yeah, yeah. They, they have some concept of, 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 of that it is a movie, and that they haven't seen this, and that they're missing something. And that it involves a shark. Which, by the way, if you haven't seen this movie, you are. You are missing something. Uh, but we'll get to, is it worth watching shortly? I suspect <laughs> that we'll both agree on that answer. Yeah. Um, Already trying to do the structure. Everybody else in, everybody else in the <laughs> podcast, everybody else in the world will as well. Um, so no, so what were your, so when did you first see the film, Andrew? When did I first see the film? Oh, I, I, I would imagine it would have been at some point in the 90s when it was, almost appropriate for me to watch that movie. I, I, I think my parents were more careful than some in terms of keeping me away from inappropriate, mov- inappropriate movies. Although, um, did, did, did you mention that this is a 12 This movie? is a 12 film. In Ireland and the UK, it's rated as 12. So it's available to wow. any, any minor over the age of 12 years old and go into a video store and buy this one. Uh, but there are some wonderful shots of people who have been mauled by sharks. There's some uh, great shots of Roy Schneider, sort of not Roy Schneider, uh, <laughs> Rob Schneider, Rob, <laughs> sorting through a uh, sorting through a book of shark attacks. There are sort of legs. He that... was just a normal small town sheriff until one morning he woke up as Rob Schneider. Um, yes. I'm sorry, I had to. There's a much much worse film there waiting for us. Uh, but yes, yeah, so, I mean and. 
even if you haven't seen I think you're familiar with the great John Williams score the dun 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 yes which the movie drops immediately like it starts like, on yeah, yeah. amazing like, here's some nice underwater photography and uh, also this piano music that you're gonna like yeah some lovely kind of I, I imagine it was stock Carl Reef photography I don't know I suspect Spielberg probably shot it I don't know though Carl Reef photography where, where, uh, what's well, not Coral Reef photography it's just Reef no? photography what's well, not Coral Reef speaking of Reef there is a much worse movie called The Reef, and it's like it's 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 a, an Australian or New Zealand version of Jaws, and it's it's not good. Don't watch that. Watch if any, this instead. Yeah. Watch this instead. Um, there's also another one coming out with Blake Lively called The Shallows as well, in which Blake Lively is is menaced by a giant shark. Stop making movies, people. <laughs> yeah. Stop making new movies and watch old movies. That's the message yeah. of this podcast. <laughs> uh, that's what we're taking away. Unless from. we talk about a new movie. Yeah, in which case you should probably go see that. Oh, by the way, we're getting paid by the people who make these movies. Yes. Um, Universal Studios really want to drum up some publicity for Jaws. Um, yeah, they haven't been doing so good so well. Like, no, they, I mean, they, I, they, they, yeah, they're, 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 when is the last time they, they made a good movie? I mean, I, I heard the name like Jaws, and I, thought, and I thought it was a Bond spin-off. I thought yeah. it was a spin-off about that guy who killed people by necking them. Exactly, yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and he, Which, by the way, is a great James Bond villain. Just in case you needed the, film, the franchise's sort of heterosexual uh, masculinity challenge, like the bad guy, the ultimate bad guy is a guy who kills people by effectively miming necking, necking other men. Yeah, 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 yeah. But 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 they they sort that out in the subsequent. Um, uh, is it the spy who loved me? No, where, he, he, where, where he gets, gets a girlfriend. Yeah. So he's yeah, no longer yeah. a threat to masculinity by taking men into corners and necking them. Jaws, no homo. Yeah. Um, that may be the most succinct analysis that we've ever offered on this podcast, and I feel sorry that we're now going to talk about the actual film Jaws. Yeah, without <laughs> the insight. Yeah, the, 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 that was also the subtitle for this movie. <laughs> <laughs> no homo. <laughs> no homo. Even though, even, even, even though it's mostly dudes that Jaws eats. Yeah. Well, actually, yeah, we'll, we'll talk about that when we get to Wait, the wait, 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 wait. <laughs> I have not yet been born. Yes. <laughs> I, I'm jumping ahead of myself. All right. So, yes. So, having sort of talked about that, I, my own memories of it, I remember reading the book before seeing the what? film. Really? Which is interesting, because it's one of those things, and again, it's one of the things that I sense is like, like your parents keeping you away from scary and inappropriate films. Yeah, um, my parents and they were it, quite right. I would disagree. I think I think children can cope better with things than we give them credit for. I would have no difficulty with sitting down, say an eight-year-old, and showing them Jaws if they're watching it with their parents. Sometimes when you see a fearful child, you wonder where did that come from. And like, maybe maybe it's down to them being um, underexposed, or maybe it's down to them being under overexposed to things. It's difficult to tell. Right. They did like I, I feel like I was a kind of adventurous child, and I, I wouldn't. <laughs> and now you're afraid of things because of it. Cause no, we're, no. We're, we're talking about this during prisoners, where you're not a fan of tension in films. No, no. I I I like tension, but I like for 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 example, a movie I like quite a lot lately was one that we also watched together. Which was a most violent year. That was great. Which, yeah. by the way, we're writing the sequel to. <laughs> a reasonably violent year. Yeah, we're yeah. de-escalating it. Basically, is what we're trying to do. Exactly. Exactly. Um, we we're, we we're, we're, um, because the, the the way tension was dealt with in that movie was was, was just too much. <laughs> um, <laughs> no, I, I I enjoyed it. Because it built and it built and it built and it just wouldn't... You feel yeah. like you need the Christmas party sequence just to let it all out. And I like that. I think some people could have gone to that movie and been like, when is... 
when is the release happening? Yeah, it's called the most violent year. <laughs> when is the violence getting here? <laughs> yeah. Instead of just being threatened. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Very, very kind of ominous movie. Yeah. But, um, so no, my parents, my parents sort of kept me away from that. And that was great because my grandparents let me watch all sorts of inappropriate but stuff. But reading. Yeah, reading. Here we go. Yeah. Reading. Which is, which is, <laughs> they, their attitude was that I wanted to get these stories. So I wanted to get The Godfather and I wanted to get Jaws. And most most controversially and scarringly, I wanted to watch American Psycho. Oh, so, so my they, it's probably better if they had just made you watch the movie. Yeah, my solution was that, that like he can't watch these movies because they're inappropriate, but he should be reading more because reading is is intelligent. It's a great hobby. So, so instead of watching age... the film, they got me the novel. So I got to read <laughs> got to read Jaws when I was about nine. I got to read Peter Benchley. Peter Benchley. I got to watch Jurassic Park when I was also about say oh, I was about eight or nine. Michael Crichton is Michael is is that a particularly uh, graphic <laughs> description <Film>? of, char- <laughs> of of di- dinosaur char- attacks? Dinosaur attacks. No, Jaws is, is there is, is, is there a trigger warning on the cover? Yeah, Jurassic Park is interesting because <laughs> it's basically it reads like an insurance scam. It's amazing that Spielberg made a good movie out of it. But, uh, enough of a like, controversial opinion. By um, the way, Michael Crichton, Michael Crichton. I'd say Crichton, but I don't know the man. Crichton from Red War. That's what I'm thinking of. Okay. Um, even though it's spelt and probably pronounced quite differently. I believe so. Uh, and then, so I read uh, read a bunch of Stephen King novels when I was about nine or ten, and read American Psycho when I was ten on holidays, and I didn't sleep. Oh dear! I did not sleep forever. Um, it's a horrifying book, particularly when you're too young to get that it's satire. Like yeah. I was reading this when I was ten, I thought this was meant to be. Even strange. if you get that it's satire, it's still horrifying. Yeah, yeah, but, but um, it's a great book. But I, my my brother suggesting to my mother that he read it, and I was like, no. <laughs> well, maybe maybe, maybe, maybe I've been protective, but I'd never recommend somebody American Psycho to, any- to anybody without serious caveats yeah. about yes. Although, in fairness, what I, what I most remember about it, having blocked the really traumatic experiences from it, and there are a lot of them, um, are that it taught me how to shave. It did? It has a great really? chapter on shaving. Is that how you shave each day? With a face mask? Or... <laughs> <laughs> I may, I do may you do a thousand press-ups? I may apply my own... I was seven. wondering. What, yeah, what's going these on? Ads, yeah, yeah. where they come from? <laughs> and it also taught me that Phil Collins is unquestionably better than the Supremes when it comes to his version. You can't hurry oh, love. No. You just can't argue with it. It's, how formative was the most American Psycho? Is, are there things that I don't know about? <laughs> Very informative. Just returning some videotapes. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so I first I first read Jaws before I saw it, um, and we'll we'll talk about the differences between the novel and the actual film uh, later on in the podcast. Okay, later. Okay. Uh, but I didn't see the film. I watched it with my dad actually. I watched it when I was about when I was about twelve. Uh, okay. appropriately well, enough with the, the age yeah. rating. Thank, <laughs> thank you Irish Film Classification Board um, and it was great I think that was a weekend when my mum was away because she would never watch a shark movie because uh, she's very terrified of things I remember I talked her into watching um, maybe 12 is about right because mm-hmm. aside, aside from all the gore well, I don't even think the, the, Sorry, the gore I'm, is I'm, the issue no, I don't we've, think... we've realised from listening to two episodes that I interrupt Darren a lot <laughs> but that's grand because you talk about interesting stuff um where uh, <laughs> where <Darren> just talks. <laughs> no, um, no, no. Sorry, sorry, I, I, I interrupted. Go on. No, no, but it's great. But well, we watched no because I was watching with mom. I watched the the guest, which is the wonderful Joel Edgerton film. It's a very good suspense thriller with a questionable ending. Um, but there's like literally one jump scare in it. But she she spilled a lot of wine during that one jump scare. 
And we watched uh, Crimson Peak recently as well, uh, which is not a scary movie, but she could not stay in the same room as for more than 10 minutes. Um, so mum, very delicate sensibility. Um, yeah, yeah, perhaps yeah. because my granddad, her father, kept showing her things like The Shining when she was very young. Yeah, save the good wine for after the movie. Yeah, it's not a good idea to watch horror with good wine. Or before. <laughs> or just skip the, skip the glass completely. The bottle is designed to prevent spillage because it's narrower at the top. And you're all just good to go. Yeah, 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 that is, that is a good point. Alright, so, um, having just sort of done our basic this intro... This is Darren who doesn't drink wine. Yes, but, and, and obviously knows a lot about its consumption. <laughs> um, but I read American Psycho and that taught me all I need to know. That is true, at Dorsey's. <laughs> Alright, so... Back to the American Psycho podcast. Yeah, um, where we also talk about movies, but mainly American Psycho. <laughs> um, and the novel as well. Alright, so, I think we sort of we covered the basics of it, because we don't need to summarise the, the plot. It's about a shark. No, yeah, it, and, it's it's about a shark. It's called Jaws. I believe the Jaws refer to the Jaws of the shark. Really? Yeah. I thought it was like the Jaws of the Depression. Well, that grip, you that grip you thought it was grip. Jaws from, from, from the from James, James Bond. Bond. Yeah, yeah, as well. I was very disappointed when I was a kid watching, we're reading the book. I was like, when is Jaws getting here? Yeah, so I was like, I think he's going to deal with the shark, right? That's what they're setting up here. It's like uh, it's like the spy who loved me. I I was texting somebody about watching Jaws, and I texted them uh, Jews. <laughs> um, so uh, yeah, that, 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 that was autocorrect. Autocorrect. <laughs> yeah, I definitely put an A in there. Definitely put an A in there. Yes. Um, but that is not what this movie is about. No, this, this well, movie is called Jaws. Well, actually, interesting. You should mention that. I read. I, read it. I should <laughs> mention that because uh, there because is, it, there is a strong so there is a Semitic element to it. There uh, is. But I also yeah. read it could have been called Jew. I also read the um, singular, by the way, not plural. But I read an interesting article in the Hebrew Times, which argued that Spielberg had constructed the film as a as an extended metaphor for the Jewish American experience. Wow. Um, to the point where he nicknamed the shark Bruce uh, in recognition of his lawyer, which is traditionally seen as a Jewish profession. Uh, it's, Bruce, it's, Bruce doesn't sound like a a Jewish name. No. Um, I'll go get the. I'll actually get the name of the uh, of the lawyer now. Um, but basically, um, the are, we, are, we, are we playing the to the fact team? Okay, team. to the fact machine team. And we're back from the fact machine. It turns out that yes, the Steven Spielberg's lawyer was named Bruce Raymer. Um, but the argument in the Jewish Times uh, article, which I will, or the Jerusalem Times article, which I will link when we post this pop- podcast to prove that it exists. Uh, was that basically it's the experience of American communities towards uh, immigrants who are perhaps Jewish in nature and how they tend to treat them as outsiders and sharks, in inverted commas, referring to lawyers. Um, I thought it was a tenuous read. I thought it was a very tenuous read. Uh, So we don't need to summarize the the plot because everybody's vaguely familiar with it. A shark menaces uh, an island community off the coast of New York. Um, and the only people who can stop it are a combination of a shark expert, local sheriff, and a fisherman who may or may not be Ahab reincarnated. Um, yeah. And yeah. hilarity ensues. Is it worth watching, Andrew? It certainly is worth watching. For even, even for the reasons you just outlined, which is number one, Chief Brody. Yeah. Number two, Hooper. Number three, Clint. Quint. 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 I went the whole movie thinking it was Clint. <laughs> well, he's just so manly. Yeah, yeah. It seems like he should have a name like Clint. Qu- or Flint. Okay. Yeah, Quinn, Quinn, Quinn. He's not a Quint. No, he's not a Quint at all. Speak, speaking from someone who's almost a Quint. <laughs> um, so yes, and I would also recommend it. If you haven't seen it, Steve. Speaking from someone. That's never an idiom. 
speaking as someone who speaking has seen, as someone who has seen the film, um, I would recommend definitely recommend seeing it. If you've seen it before, it's worth watching again. It holds up very well. I think. That in mind, we're going to move on now to the spoiler <laughs> zone, where we talk about the film with spoilers. All right, so. Um, what we talked about beforehand is because Jaws has so many memorable scenes, what we're probably going to do is we're probably going to talk about themes, first of all. Yeah. Right, so what, what the film was about. What was the film about for you, Andrew? A few things. Uh-huh. Um, I think the, the interesting thing that you, you mentioned just there when, when, um, uh, when, when, when you brought up uh, the Hebrew Times article, I don't know if I saw that, um, but definitely the, the whole idea of being other. Yes. Or being an outsider, um, and not belonging, being excluded, being isolated, being bored, as well. Because, being bored. Yeah, dude. I, 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 I feel like um, there's this idea that um, that Chief Brody has 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 left the city to um, to 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 have a quiet life, but I I I feel like there is a certain kind of something like a yearning in him for for and 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 it might it might just be me that's no. thinking this but it like like one of his first lines is um his wife says uh, be careful um and he says in this town as as in like in in this um in this quiet hick, yeah uh, one horse town yeah where nothing ever happens well he talks about that on the boat as well when he goes out with hooper and the aurora and he's like you know in new york people mug you they get shot there's violence and all that sort of thing here there's not been one murder in 26 years which by yeah. the way is a very specific very specific number it's not like 25 years or 30 years it's like no, 26, it's 26 years after that pistol shooting murder incident but beyond that <laughs> the town is completely safe how is oh yeah yeah it, it was it was just presumably like how long has he been sheriff there? i think it's meant to be new 27 years <laughs> <laughs> there were some teething issues yeah, um, yeah, it sorted it all out in a year. Well, I think the idea is basically that he's new. Got all it? the gangs off the island. But no, I, like, I, I get that idea of boredom, but I think, I think it ties into the idea of masculinity uh, and stuff like that. But we're, you're talking about the idea yes. of outsiders, right? So we should probably go back to the outsiders. Thank you for saying masculinity, by the way. We, we we're going to put a pin yeah. in that. We're going to go yeah. back to it. But you talk about otherness and outsiders. Like, there's this great idea of islanders and non-islanders, which is Yes. Really, like, the first, the, the first killing happens. It's a guy who gets drunk. He goes off with a girl. She gets eaten by a shark. They find her remains on the beach. But mm. Brody's having a conversation with him while he's walking. And the guy's like, look, yes. I don't live on the island. I just come and visit. But because my parents are born on the island, and even they don't live here now, I'm still an islander. Yeah, he specifically says. So, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. He has to clarify. He has to yeah. ask. Like. It's to put this, like, a class thing as well. Oh, yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And even though Brody lives on the island and is the chief of police of the island, he's not an islander. No. He's a blow-in, basically. You can, you can see in the kind of town hall meeting um, where they're discussing possibly closing down the beach maybe for as little as 24 hours that before I never agreed to that <laughs> I never agreed to that uh, 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 20, uh, sorry 24 hours before the meeting starts um, there is there is this moment where locals are talking amongst themselves and they're all um, gabbing and yammering and Chief Bro- Brody is, is ha- yeah his, all the shoulders are turned against him yeah. and he's he's kind of almost feeling like should I 
should I pip in? Do I have anything to add here? Do these people even care? Yeah, well, there's, there's that sequence you're talking about. There's a wonderful moment where they're because they're having the conversation while they're walking through the halls, and they're basically they're talking together, and Brody is sort of following behind them. But Brody bangs his head off a signpost that's hanging from one of the doors, which is like it's it's completely how how much he lacks authority in this in this island environment. Mm. How little he knows his way around. Um, how little the locals seem to yeah. respect him as well. And 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 how 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 little. Um, Actually, that, that 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 relates to what he's saying on the boat because he's talking about New York and how it seems like the reason he came to Amity Island was because he thought in a small village like Amity Island he could make a difference in a big city like New York he can't. But what he what he seems to realise is that it, it's almost like colonialism, like 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 he's come in and As and an tried outsider. to impose something. And realizes that that's which is funny because like literally the first thing he does when he gets to the office is he tells his secretary that she needs to change her filing system. She needs to keep the old stuff off his desk. And, and she's she not really she's listen. not listening, no, no. at all. But, but Polly Polly is talking about uh, karate. Yeah, the kids uh, karateing the the white yeah. picket fences, which, which is a great image. Yeah, which which made me think that this is the same universe as, uh, as karate. the karate kids. That the Cobra Kai kids are, are, are busting up all of the fences down along the reef. I like the idea that modern Hollywood has conditioned Andrew to imagine that all these classic 70s and 80s films exist in some sort of shared cohesive universe. Well, we, 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 I, I think we can agree that, that, that it's part of the Et universe. Sorry, hold on, I'm getting something. E.T. Uh, <laughs> But we, um, yeah, there's a moment. I, uh, some, uh, my producer is speaking my earpiece. There was a moment, there's a moment uh, later in the film as well where uh, Brody's, uh, he's not chumming the waters, but he's playing with, the, he's tying with the ropes or something. He's, lo- oh, he's loading a gun, he's getting his revolver. Yes. And you can see over his head, you can see a shooting star that's very clearly been animated in the panel. And then there's another establishing shot on the boat as well against sunset, and the shooting star is still there as well. Uh, which is a lovely shot. It's a lovely composition. They twice put it in. Yeah. Yeah. And like, you it, wonder what the trajectory of the star should be that it appears behind Brody at one stage and then circles back around to be visible at the you know around the boat itself. Well, it, what 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 it's saying is um, coming to cinemas soon. Soon is Close Encounters followed by E.T. Yeah. Um, look, it's even got Richard Dreyfuss in it. And yeah. One 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 of the shooting. Sorry, <laughs> it's even got Richard Dreyfuss in it. It does. Yeah. By the way, Richard Dreyfuss. It's fantastic. Isn't Amazing. It? it really is. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so we were talking about the, the outsider thing. Uh, let's talk about masculinity for a second. Before, before we do that, I think I have the answer to your question. What is my question? One shooting star yes. was Close Encounters. Oh, and the oh, other shooting star was E.T. E. because they're different aliens. Ah, Baboon. Mind blown. Yes. Forget the Jaws thing. This might be the most cogent piece of analysis that we've had on this podcast ever. Fan theory. Yeah, boom, go with it's it. It's not even a theory. I mean... It's just fact. It's right there. Yeah, exactly. It's just there to read. Yeah. Alright, so masculinity. Masculinity. And I had actually, I had written down masculinity as one of the themes. Um because the first that we've already spoken about is this whole kind of small town. Yeah. Oh, and she also, yeah, she has a conversation on the beach where she's like, what, where Brody's wife is like, when do I get to be considered an island? Never, darling, you're never an... This is the That's... woman who Andrew was rooting to be eaten by a shark. Yeah, as soon as she said that, because I've, 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 I've never really had a great sense of community and I've always kind of like been transplanted into different small to medium to large towns. Um... And yeah, that, yeah, that woman like saying that. that yeah 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 that woman saying you'll never be one of us basically. 
<laughs> in the most blasé way. Yeah, she was very casual about the insult that she was landing. Oh, yeah. Because um, she's a motel owner, you know. She has business ideas. Speaking of blasé, um, the, the, when Chrissy gets... Are we in the spoiler zone, by the way? We are in the spoiler zone. When Chrissy gets eaten, um, the next morning... Uh, sorry, sorry. I, 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 I know we're going off the thematic discussion one moment. Well, but, I, but, it, but, I, but I, didn't, I didn't mean to... to um, I didn't want to miss this. Was that the guy who is taking Chief, um, Chief Brody to the beach is saying, I guess she drowned or something. And it is so blasé. It's like... <laughs> Guess she drowned. Happens all the time around here. Yeah, yeah. You're hooking up with it's a like, girl. She drowns. Yeah, it's like, did she run away? Oh, no, sir. She drowned. I think she drowned. Yeah. yeah. Uh, just the case closed then. Can I get back it's to like, my friends here? I'm yes. very tired. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's know. like, and she, she brought it. Presumably the audience is like, oh, gosh. I thought the girl was eaten by a shark. <laughs> I'm so glad to find out she's only dead. Yeah. And not mangled or eaten. Yeah. Um, which is funny, right? Because we were talking about masculinity, and, yes. actually, and it's a theme that I think is seated even in those Very early, even strong. in those early scenes, right? Even because yeah. you have that scene where she gets she gets attacked and mauled, right? But she gets mauled. Her male partner is basically impotent; like he can't he can't swim. He can barely undress himself. He's supposed to be going in, and they're supposed to be having sex. He's unable to do it. He ends up passed out on the beach, and unable to perform. They s- still manage to make that unexpected as well. Yeah. The, 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 um, when Chrissy gets eaten because uh, he, he says what's your name anyway yeah. says Chrissy and the audience thinks oh she has a name she has a name therefore she's not going to get eaten no which uh, guess she what does, yes. she does get eaten she does get um, eaten but yeah this, this idea of masculinity bubbles through the film and it's particularly relevant as it, as it occurs to the three main characters right so you have Absolutely. Hooper who is obviously perhaps the most uh, effeminate characters, perhaps the most, I or the least so. manly, the least sort of. I, I, I think what 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 happens is it's it's a kind of a penis measuring contest that's uh, that's in that's. Oh, don't worry, in, we're gonna we're gonna mention penis a lot. In the we are gonna mention coming. penis a lot, penis. Because uh, the shark is basically a giant penis. So yeah, it it seems to be something that that even though it's hinted at earlier on, it becomes explicit when when Robert Shaw. Shaw his character, not Clint, <laughs> Quint, <laughs> which I should remember, <laughs> um, when he when he makes it so, he he makes it very overt because he he is very much an islander. Yeah, um, and it, it's really weird. And right? questions the masculinity of anyone who isn't. Yes, and he has this conversation, and he's like, "You all know me and what I do." And mm. I, as we were watching the film, I was watching because initially I thought he's a fisherman. That's how they know what he does, right? <laughs> and as I'm watching the film more and more, I'm like, actually, what does he what, do? <laughs> what does Quint do? Yeah. If only, if only, if only before we went into a shack, we had a look from the outside <laughs> so we could see the <laughs> sign like, for the business. Yeah, like, it's like you think he's a fisherman, but he seems to have a very large collection of like boiled shark jaws. I, be, uh, I have and a he theory. He them from his boat. Yeah. And he, yeah, you have a theory, actually. Tell me what your theory about what Quint does on the island. He's making some kind of shark product. <laughs> shark vodka, I think. So, yeah, yeah. Because, because he says, he asked for apricot brandy as, <laughs> one, of, as, as one of his requirements. Because yeah. maybe he's thinking of a special summer like uh, edition yeah. Yeah, of, of oh, his shark, shark vodka. vodka. Um, and then he hands them shot glasses and says, Drink up. I made it myself. 
Which, uh, sorry, that's a terrible Quint. Any, any, any impression of Quint needs to be uh, very gravelly, and at some point you can't understand what he's saying. So he's like, but you, but you recognise the authority of what he's yeah. saying. Yeah, take a shot glass of this one. I made it myself. I think that's actually I think that's pretty much perfect, Andrew. Oh, thank you. But uh, yeah, so he hands Brody the thing because he he has like a shark jaw hanging. His shark jaw is hanging first of all all over his office. Mm. Second of all, all over his boat. Yeah. And you're like, this is not like a commercial fisherman because I don't imagine there's that much of an industry in Amity for like shark-based meat products. And it's interesting as well because, as you say, he says, "You know who I am, and you know what I do." Yeah. No, <laughs> do not. But I, I think again that plays into the, the insider outsider thing, where all the islanders obviously know. Yeah, what he does, even at this does... point, any islander who doesn't know would not ask because yeah. they would be they worried that they'd be for confused granted. for a non-islander. Yeah, they just take it for granted. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so basically talking about like masculinity and stuff, right? Because um, you have the scientist who's Hooper, you have the manly man who's Quint. And then you have Brody, and the film is, and this is interesting because right? he's played yeah. by he's played by uh, Roy Scheider. Um, have I got the name right? Scheider. Scheider. Roy Scheider. Uh, Let's just check that it's not Rob Schneider. Yeah. <laughs> Apologies, Rob Schneider. Um, <laughs> if you're listening, big fan no, of no, Rob. Rob. Rob Schneider. Um, he was good in Demolition Man. He was. Yeah. Not. not Roy Scheider. Not, <laughs> I knew that. <laughs> that I, I'm sorry. I just made you made you, made you go to the fuck machine willy nilly. Yeah. I do beg your pardon. Don't worry. You won't even play the anthem for that. One. No. <laughs> but anyway, uh, Roy Schneider's like. By he's... by the way, Rob Schneider um, if was. You. Uh, I know that you are also in Judge Dredd, also with Sylvester Stallone. Nice try trying to trick me into thinking that's the same movie differentiated in my mind the key is Sandra Bullock key is Sandra Bullock Sandra Bullock is in one not in the other yeah Ashley Judd which Judd in um, in uh, she's the one in uh, she's in Demolition Man woman I should say no no she's she's in Judge Red Sandra Bullock Ashley Judd Ashley Judd what it's Ashley Judd and Judge Red believe so that's, Ash- quite, that's some great casting Ashley Judge Dredd Ashley Judge yeah that's it you should just by, by the way speaking of masculinity not very many mo- speaking of women not very many women in this movie no which I think is a thematic sort of point yeah but, and it makes sense that there aren't because this is all about masculinity and I think as, as well the theme of masculinity and otherness relates because I think any young man um, who's felt um was felt different or other or insecure that definitely bleeds into masculinity because you you want you want to be one of the men yeah yeah exactly um so it, 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 the two themes fit very well together and i mean it, it should be like it's, it's even on the poster like it's the poster is a giant shark coming up out of the bottom of the poster towards a young woman who is swimming in the water which is perhaps the most like phallic centric poster for a major blockbuster I have ever seen. It's basically a giant penis traveling through the water towards an uh, unsuspecting woman. You thought penis? I, you, yeah, you thought shark? I thought boobies. Okay. How do you get when, boobies when, on that when there's a naked woman? Well, yeah, but on the poster. You can't have a naked woman on the poster. That would violate, like, uh, 
There were definitely there were, there was there was there was there was definitely definitely in the end of the film. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, uh, and any twelve-year-old um, uh, because Lord knows we shouldn't be worried about the gore or the violence. It's the boobies we have to worry about. Yeah, that's that's that's, it is uh, that's the thing over thing. there in the states. It is. It's really yeah. messed up about the MPAA. Is the fascination or the fixation upon sex as more harmful to minors? Oh, violence or graphic gore. and bad words as well. Yes, How, I, 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 I had this bizarre experience of watching American History X at about seven in the evening um, after work one time when I was in the states. And um, oh, by the way, what, what's the best way of saying that? When somebody says "in the states," I always think of um, that movie Intermission. Okay, well, uh, very Irish way of inter- yes. uh, yeah, yeah, very American Irish way of talking about America. Because it's like we're close; we're so close that we drop the United. You know? Yeah. It's like because the United, you know, has other connotations here. Exactly. Um, so. In America, in North America, yes, in they were United they were showing States. American History X, and there was all of the violence, and I believe the curb stomp, uh, which hopefully isn't a spoiler, um, because what's it's a, a curb stomp? Nazis, yes, um, <laughs> it might involve some gratuitous and horrifying violence. So it it's, is, yeah, a terrifying. Yeah. It is a terrifying sequence. Well, that was shown. What wasn't was the bad language. So. It was dubbed. Um, presumably, Edward Norton um, has to come in <laughs> and, read and, a and read a line of ADR where he says, "I'm not going to. I'm not going to take that bull spit." <laughs> and where, 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 <laughs> where sort of dub that in? And yeah, that where in. he's basically made into Ned Flanders, yeah. but he's a neo-Nazi. <laughs> and well, it's funny you should mention the dubbing or changing um, of or ADR of sort of bad language lines. I think my personal favorite is from The Big Lebowski. Mm. You know, the, it's which is a great film, and we're not going to get into spoilers. Uh, we may talk about it at some point in the podcast. Yeah. But there's a line where John Goodman screams at the top of his voice, This is what happens when you f a stranger in the ass. And don't worry, we're going to bleep that. Uh, and in the no. 80 or version of the, of the scene, somebody called John Goodman back in to film this, not to film the sequence, but to dub the sequence, so that he shouted, this is what happens when you meet a stranger in the Alps. <laughs> without any what? other changes to the scene, without any other context for it, it just seems like John Goodman really doesn't like... There are like so many people out there who have only seen ADR movies. Yeah. Um, yeah, who, whose only exposure to movies is watching them on cable in the United States of America and thinking, oh... Yeah, that's just the way people talk. Yeah, I can just drop that. That's a colloquialism. I can just drop yeah. that in. You know? I wish people in the real world said, um, this were, is what happens when were a little less coarse. Yeah, this is what happens when you meet a stranger in the Alps. Um, <laughs> it's what people shout when they get angry. It's just an emotional outlet. Um, being honest, I still say fudge and sugar occasionally, so I can't really complain. Yeah, I, I, like, I like to say, um, whoopsie f- daisy. All right. <laughs> Andrew is hardcore for this podcast. Yeah, but um, no, talking about like the theme of masculinity, right? So the the idea of Brody, I love how Brody is repeatedly uh, emasculated. Brody is made out to be not a very good man, which is ironic given he's played by uh, Roy Schneider. Roy Schneider, and he's because uh, Roy Schneider is a very manly man. He's got a square jaw. He's got an American hero's face. He's got you know he's mm. skinny. He's got uh, he's in most of his movies. He's got presence. He played the lead in like Sequest DSV. 
But in the first half hour of Jaws, he's just made to seem so small and so inadequate. Yeah. Like, he can't even repair his... The first thing, first time you meet his kids, they've cut their hands on the swing set that he still hasn't fixed. You know? Yeah. Um, and then he's... Like, when he's even when he's going off on the boat, he's talking about he forgot to fix the pipes or something like that. He tells his wife not to use... I can't remember what it is she's not to use, but he hasn't fixed it yet because he's a terrible husband. He's playing catch-up. Yeah. But he has the advantage of having that most masculine rank of chief of police. But everybody completely ignores him, which is great. And I like that, like, when he does... I, f- I, f- I feel like Quint gives him a certain amount of slack, but it's only in comparison to, to Hooper. To which Hooper. we'll talk about in a moment. Yeah. Uh, and that's probably... I, like I don't think Quint fancies his chances um, uh, against the two of them. Yeah, so he like, sud- suddenly decides, yeah, yeah I've got to pick, pick one, one to bully and one to ingratiate myself, myself with. And I'm going to go with uh, the one who looks like Ryan Scheider. I have to ingratiate myself. But no, but even in the the early scenes, so like where he's running around about the shark attack, he's continually hassled by locals who are worried about small things, like cars parked in loading areas, or children stealing bikes, or kids karateing fence posts. But his response in every situation is not to say, look, I'm the chief of police here, I've actually got important stuff to be doing, shut up. His point is just to either... Which, which is how community placing ought to work. Ought to work. Well, you know, you haven't got time to be dealing with that. You should have the ability to just say, look, go and file a form. Instead, he, he actually listens... Go file a form. Shark time. Yeah. <laughs> I've, got, I've got actual stuff to worry about. Um, instead, he just sort of... He either ignores them or tries to run away. Like when he's walking to the shop to buy the signs to make the, the shark warning signs with each clothes signs. You just see him running repeatedly away from the, the islanders with their petty complaints instead of just telling them yeah. he's got more important stuff to be doing. Or when one, he's on the One pool. lad has a bike rental place yeah. and people keep breaking glass. Yeah. Punk kids. Yeah. But one of these punk kids just got eaten by a shark. So leave me alone. Yeah. Enough to handle here. Or even when he's when he's shut in the boat and the mayor shows up. And we're going to talk about the mayor in a minute. The mayor. We love the mayor. We do. Um, but he shows up himself. <laughs> Not the only ones. In a car. It's great. He's taking the ferry across the bay. I presume it's a shortcut or whatever. But um, Ooh, the Jersey Tufts. Yeah. But that's it. Um, <laughs> this car pulls up onto the ferry as it's about to leave. And you can tell it's like the driver is signaling, look, don't let the sheriff get on that ferry without us. Cause, and then like a clown car. Everybody gets out. It's like the mayor, and the the um, who was also the chief realtor on the island, which is quite nice. He drives a car <laughs> labeled Vaughn Real Estate. Yeah. Um, there's the local reporter as well, who is very much is, in bed. Yeah. Is that who it was with the big glasses and the mustache? Yeah. He's in charge of the local paper. Okay. Um, he's also played by the writer of the film as well. Oh. Um, I didn't realize that that was the same person. Yeah, it is later on when he talks about when they catch the small shark and he's like, I want this going out to the AP or whatever. He's, he's the local newspaper person. He's also talking about the ad with the bounty for the shark as well uh, at the meeting where uh, Roy Shredder's like, maybe you shouldn't publish that. And he's like, look, <laughs> I don't tell you how to do your job oh, no, no, except no. I, I, you on a boat. I recognize all the times when he was a reporter. I thought that was a different guy. No, it, on the boat, he's definitely, he's teaming up with the mayor and they're like... Uh, this has been confirmed by the fact machine. This has been confirmed by the fact machine. Excellent, okay. Um, and then there's also the coroner there as well. But what they do, and it's a great, because it, it would be a very boring scene because it's just exposition and dialogue, but Spielberg shoots it in a way that is incredibly claustrophobic and yeah. incredibly frightening. And, and very emasculating. Because you know for... everybody's afraid of the water. Yeah. And you can tell the mayor was probably like, I know where's a great place to have this conversation with the guy. Yeah. Let's, let's have it on Let's the... corner him and where his back is turned to water and he's already on edge. Yeah. And there's no fence at the front of the boat as well. 
Um, and it's great because the scene is shot where they, they push him in, they fence him in, and he gets gradually close to the camera as well. So as the scene gets more intense, mm. and as the mayor, who by the way has a fantastic wardrobe, oh his wardrobe, the mayor is amazing. He shows He's... up with a jacket with anchors on it, little anchor white print, anchor, little white anchor print on it, which is amazing. Um, I want one myself, even though I don't live in a seaside community. Can we discuss for a moment his 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 wardrobe? Because mo- mo- mostly it's the anchor print. Well, in fairness, it's also the pinstripe, but it's not... There is summer print. Summer print. That's summer, 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 summer stripe. Yeah, it's like the wallpaper inside With your... With a salmon shirt. Yeah, and a, and a tie which is sort of striped, isn't it? It's like blue, white, and red striped. Oh, yeah. Just to tie it all together. Yeah. Because, I mean, otherwise it would look ridiculous. Because it, 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 his, his jacket, this is this this is a jacket. He, he, he doesn't go for navy charcoal black, uh, black. Or, no, yeah, no or even blue like a, he, goes, he doesn't go for a solid color he either. goes for um stripes that each represent some part of summer um, <laughs> every everything in the jacket says summer yeah by the by the way if 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 you're interested in summer and jaws um the comedian howard kramer is your guy he he will he will argue with anybody who says that there is any better movie than jaws ever ever Oh, yeah, wow. yeah, yeah. His, his um, recurring segment on the podcast, uh, Who Charted, is Jaws is Better. I don't think they do it anymore. He also mm-hmm. had a podcast with um, the very good Paul F. Tompkins oh, yeah. called um, Analyze Fish, and that's spelled F I S H. Oh, the band? Uh, no, F I S H. Oh, F I S H. Analyze Fish, P H I S H. Um, was an original uh, podcast by um, Scott Aukerman and the late Harris Whittles about uh, the band Fish, where uh, Harris Whittles was trying to get Scott Aukerman to like the band Fish. And then there was a um, spin-off podcast under the same feed called Analyze Fish, which was um, two people who loved the movie Jaws, Paul F. Tompkins and Howard Kramer. It's a little, a little... Andrew is our podcast expert here. <laughs> Andrew is very much our podcast specialist here. Um, I have to be here for some reason. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, no, Vaughn, Vaughn is great. Mayor Vaughn is great because he's um, the real monster of the film, basically. Well, according to Howard Kramer, he's the real hero of the movie. He's the real he- Explain to me how Mayor the, Vaughn is the real hero. Because Howard Kramer um, uh, wants to embrace the idea of a summer. Yeah. And I believe that summer spelt S U M M A H. Correct mm-hmm. me if I'm wrong. Um, and Mayor Vaughn is the person who wants the the, the summer the, to go ahead. I believe there's a video on Funny or Die with okay. Harry Kramer and Zoe De Chanel talking about summer and explaining how how Larry Vaughn is is the, is the real hero. Okay. Yeah, because um, I was watching, and I was thinking, this man is a monster. This man is a terrible human being. Funny that, yeah. We, the, I, I I think Darren and I agree. <laughs> that, just, to be, that, just to be clear yeah yeah the 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 the, the trailer uh seems to indicate that um the shark is, 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 is the actual villain of the piece is the actual villain of the piece no he's just a rogue yeah, lovable rogue shark he's just a henchman uh, he has no no cognizance or awareness or exactly. does he dun, dun, dun. oh there, there may be sequels to this movie <laughs> that explain that uh, most notably jaws for the revenge in which the shark that blows up at the end of jaws somehow comes back from the dead and starts avenging himself um, on the survivors of the original film. Oh. Yes, and it's great because in the film, there's no explanation for how the shark has come back from the dead. In the novelization, 
It's explained that the shark is brought back using voodoo magic. Ooh. Which is just amazing. And well, like, yeah, well, that stands to reason, really. Yeah, like, the, the, the tiger shark at the beginning has just come from Louisiana. Exactly. I mean, it's all tied together. It's, yeah. it's a great setup and payoff. It's like the wonderful shot Spielberg does of the oxygen tanks, where you're like, this is going to be important later. You're like, yeah. that Louisiana plague. Yeah, that, that was relating to Joe's yeah. yeah, starring Michael Caine uh, and his famous anecdote about uh, <laughs> when he was doing the press conference. Yeah, where, where he, was, uh, he was doing a press conference and he was asking questions. It was obvious he hadn't seen the film. And a reporter actually stuck up their hand and said, Mr. Kane, have, have you actually seen Jaws for the Revenge? To which Michael Kane replied, No, I have not. But by all accounts, it is quite terrible. <laughs> I have, however, seen the house that it paid for. And that, by all accounts, is quite lovely. Um, <laughs> which is just the best slumming at answer that any actor has ever given to anything. Fantastic. Um, have checked out. Yeah. Must be here contractual. <laughs> think about the interior design of that luxury house um, when you sign on for the sequel Jaws 5 The Revengening I've never seen such terrible drapes <laughs> fix these I'll do another with Jaws my Jaws sequel. money yeah, I'll do another Jaws sequel um, which is remarkable because Jaws is one of those films you don't think about as having a sequel but instead it has three of them and they're all terrible it also inspired a generation of knockoffs. In- Who did? I, I assume that Irvin Kershner did the second one. <laughs> because, because of course he did. He, he, he did all the sequels. Um, um, they, 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 that's um, why Jaws 2 is the Empire Strikes Back of Sharks movies. Uh, no. The, and, and the Robocop 2. Did Irvin Kershner do Robocop 2? I believe so. Okay. To He's, the fact machine. Good call, Andrew. We're back from the fax machine. Fax, not the fax machine. The fax machine. To the fax machine. It turns out Erwin Kirshner did direct Robocop. Get too. in. Um, which is funny, because the, the creator difficulties I remember with that one are involved the writer Frank Miller, um, who described it as his only experience with Hollywood before doing Sin City, and who was scared away by the process. That was a dark movie. That was dark. <laughs> did did Erwin did Kirshner want it to be darker? Did Frank Miller want it to be darker? I'm guessing Frank I, Miller. I'm guessing they both wanted it to be darker, and the studio probably said, actually, if, if, we turned him into a toy, into a toy figure. Um, so, there was, yeah, there was, there was like, it, 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 was, it was more bleak than Robocop, <laughs> but also tied in more to kids. And 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 um, I I believe Leonard Maltin had had this complaint with it that 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 it seemed to be marketed towards kids. They even him. put a kid in. Yeah. But I feel like having the kid in that movie so just just it made it more dark. Yeah. Um. Uh, having have, having having the child um, be head of a criminal organization. <laughs> And using um, hateful answer. homophobic speech, <laughs> and um, uh, yeah, yeah, I'm not even going to say it so that you can bleep. <laughs> but, um, <laughs> yes, yes, it is. So somehow this is how dark Detroit is that the adorable kid villain is a monster. Turns out they were right. Yeah, um, <laughs> very, very prescient movie. Yeah. But um, no, so back to the theme of masculinity because we seem to have segued. Oh, <laughs> excuse me. <laughs> no, no, don't worry. Uh, we'll segue smoothly back to the theme. We certainly will. Because the idea is, and I like this oh. idea, is that Brody. Go on. Andrew's raised a finger. He wants One to thing. say something. As 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 the resident podcast um, uh, specialist, I don't know if you can even call me that. If you want a great, great, great impression of Irvin Kershner, check out Super Ego and just Matt Gorley. Matt Gorley. 
Yes. Fantastic. Fan- yeah. Fantastic um, Urban Kirshner impression. Um, also um, does um, a movie podcast called I Was There Too. Oh, cool. Oh, and, and, a, and a second movie podcast uh, called James Bonding, which is all about James Bond movies. Which I've heard, I've heard great things about. I think yeah. you're a big fan of it. Yeah. Um, not, yeah. Not enough of them. <laughs> not enough James Bond podcasts. Yeah. Um, so yeah, these are things you should be listening to when you're not listening to us. Obviously. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And speaking of James Bond... Uh, masculinity was the theme in this movie. <laughs> yes, uh, which we circled back around to, uh, truly enough. No, I, li- I like the idea of... Um, Masterfully, Bogey. no? Yeah, it's, it's just, I can't even see the seams. It's so <laughs> flawless. Um, but I like the idea of Brody as a figure who should be masculine, but who basically has to regress to boyhood, right? And mm. this is one of the things I really like about the film, is that it structures two very different halves. Um, and we'll probably talk about this when we talk about the legacy of the film a bit later. Yeah. Um, but the film is structured in such a way that Brody has to recover his childhood, his boyhood. He has to go back to being a boy before he could be a man. Because he's, he's emasculating these powers. Oh, he's afraid of the water. He, um, there's one point where he's reading the book about sharks and his wife shows up, closes the books and says, you'll have nightmares tonight. While giving him, like, what uh, I imagine is a hot yeah. brandy, but it's very much like giving a small child a hot chocolate or something. It's like, here, comfort yourself. And the way the scene's shot as well, he's rolled up in a ball sitting on the chair and she's sort of comforting him behind him. You, you got hot chocolate when being put to sleep as a child? Yeah. No, you, you just didn't. get a kick in the face. But it's okay because you had a very, You had a very privileged childhood. I had child. a very privileged, happy childhood. But it's okay because your parents didn't let you watch Jaws, which would have traumatized you. Exactly. But then, and then even later on, where she's walking him to the boat to what say goodbye. Um, she's sort of You had a bed? She's presented almost as a mother figure. Uh, in that she's worried about what he's going to have for lunch and what he's going to have for dinner and stuff before he gets mm. on the boat with Quint. It's like packing up his little bag and sending him on his first adventure away from home. Yeah. Uh, which is remarkable. Um, and then he goes out to sea and he's he's very much, he's the child. And this, this is an interesting, mm. interesting read, which I do owe a bit of credit to uh, Matthew Belink over at Overthinking It because he By the way, some of this stuff out. who wrote the Hebrew Times article? I don't know. Editorial? Yeah, it was an editorial. So we'll, we'll, it'll be, don't worry, it'll be included in the... It'll be on the show notes. Yes, it'll be on the show notes. Um, but Matthew Link pointed out quite astutely that when they go out on the boat, um, they adopt a family dynamic, right? So he has to go out in the sea to find himself. Um, where Quint is basically the father. Um, mm-hmm. Hooper is essentially the mother. They're the two adults on the boat. They get tasked with the irresponsible things. Like Quint is in charge of killing the fish. Hooper is in charge of steering the boat. And at one point when uh, Quint tells Brody to start ch- chumming the waters, ch- uh, Brody's like a little 10-year-old going, why do I have to do it? Why can't, why can't Hooper do it? And Quint's like, Hooper's steering the boat. Uh, he's like, he's doing grown-up work. Um, and there's another point where uh, Quint is teaching Brody how to tie a knot. Because that's one of the symbolisms of uh, one of the mm. ideas of being an adult is that, and it's how Hooper proves that there's, he can be taken on a boat. Yeah, there's scouts doing a merit badge earlier on in the yeah, movie. as well. Yeah. And it's one of these ideas of becoming a child and becoming a man. And then Brody sort of, Brody learns. And it's fascinating because the shark first menaces them on the boat at the point where Brody successfully ties the knot. That's the point at which the shark mm. first shows up. And that's sort of like, he's come a little bit further. He's now like an adolescent figure. And when they're on the boat and they're comparing scars, um, Quint and Hooper are like, look at this bite that this shark took out of me. Look at this moray eel. Look at this this thing that I, I got this massive cut off from a, from a stingray. And Brody is sort of standing in the corner and he picks up his shirt as if to show his little appendectomy scar. And then he's kind of like, no, 
No, I, I can't really. Oh, that was what that was. I I had a sense that something had happened to uh-huh. Brody and that he did have a scar, okay. but didn't. Because there was, there was always this thing throughout the movie that he was afraid of the sea. Yeah. Oh, you think something happened that made him afraid of the sea? Or I don't know whether that was just my own imagination going wild or whether there was an, ever Anything. that suggestion in the movie that there was, something had happened. When he was a child. To scare when he was a child. Water. To scare him of the water. Well, that may, maybe even he had some sort of a traumatic memory. bite. Well, yeah. Well, that's well because the wife mentions it. The wife's like, you had this thing when you were a child. And he's like, drown yeah, and he's like, yeah, okay, he, we're putting a, we're putting he cuts a her off. Conversation. Yeah. She says like, because um, she's asking like, what's what's that what's that word for what you have a fear of? Yeah, and he's like, he's drowning. Yeah, that's it. We're not having this conversation. Yeah, I, I'm a man. We don't talk about these things. No. Um, and then sort of you have this idea that not in front of the other guys. <laughs> yeah, you're embarrassing me in front of the nice man who brought wine. I like how I like how Hooper is so cultured that he brings both red and white wine to dinner because he's not sure what meat they're serving. Uh, whereas Brody is, is so uncultured that he yeah. proceeds to open the bottle of red wine There's and pour it into his glass of whiskey, which Andrew assures me is not the way that you drink either of those beverages. No, but I can hardly speech. Is a spe- speech. I can hardly speech. You can hardly I, speech. I can hardly talk. Um, because didn't I have Calimocho the other evening? When what we is Calimocho? Oh, that's when you mix Pepsi and uh, red wine, is it? Yeah, I think that's what it's called. It is like, it should, yeah. I, I, I made a big, huge mistake. <laughs> I as, miscalculated. If you're listening and you're having Calimocho, don't. don't, don't yeah, well, certainly if you are going to be, be in Spain... Make make it something light and fruity, and not not something good. Like have uh, don't don't, don't have a culture on wine. Yeah. Well, welcome to the Andrew and Darren's talk about wine. Yeah. Um, Neither of us are sommeliers, nor know anything about wine. In but fact, we... Andrew didn't even drink his wine from a wine glass. No. And Darren doesn't drink wine at all. So well, we're, we're considerably fine. If life gives you a, a Coca Cola glass. Well then, have Calimocho. Yeah, that is the obvious solution. Um, what I yeah, so I, I think there's a great idea that, and there's the idea also of the sea as a traditionally feminine space, um, in that it's the it's the part of the world that birthed life, uh, which is what <laughs> the life when life came from the sea. So it's the idea of these three guys going out onto the ocean, which is just a feminine space. And there's this great shot what? after the shark menaces. What? Hold on, Andrew. This after is, the shark This menaces. sounds like stuff that should be familiar to everyone. And yet it's like... You don't, you don't think the sea is a feminine space? Uh, okay, well, I, I think the, the imagery is basically that because the sea produced life. Right. <laughs> and because of the way that sailors talk about the sea. Oh. That it, it's seen as a, a mistress, it's seen as a woman, basically. It's seen as a traditionally feminized space. Okay. You don't see that? No, I can, I can see what you're saying. And I mean, in, in terms of like the shark as... Uh, and I feel like we're, we're getting into... like This is a really heavily metaphor and symbolized Minutiae. sex joke we're making here. Where the shark is presented as a giant phallus uh, cruising through the sea attacking. But there's a great shot uh, after the shark attacks so the guy in the boat in the shell. He's surrounded by like, what is a big vagina, vagina in the yeah. sea. Yeah, uh, and the shark is a penis. A big so blue vagina. A, a big dude. And, and a big grey penis with a fin on it. Big grey penis with a fin on it. Yeah. Um, this may be an over 12 podcast that we're making right now. Um, 
but there's there is that great shot of Brody as he's running down after his son is attacked in the shallows, and it's the shot of the sea through the bottom of the bridge, and it's sort of it's just opened out. It's just this wide open space, um, and he sort of to get in and out of that space, the shark would have had to sail through that gap. Uh, am I reading too much into this? <laughs> is this coming from you? <laughs> Okay. Was this on your mind the whole time? <laughs> the movie is like, oh boy. Yes, it's a oh, yeah, let's, let's get metaphor. down into that sea. Yeah. No, no. A lot of this comes from again from Matthew Blink's wonderful overthinking a piece, which we'll include in the notes. <laughs> you, know, you don't, you don't see that theme of, of masculinity as it relates well, to the sea and as it relates to. Gosh, I didn't know. Am I, I overstretching it. I, I, I had written down masculinity. Okay. Um, Maybe you're on the money. I guess if you have to write an article. <laughs> you might as well just embrace it wholeheartedly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but yes, yeah, so that's... Okay, and then finally, one last thing that I know is what we're talking about themes is this idea of America. Because mm. I think there's... Like, the film was made in 1975. Um, and it has... It's very much... It's rooted in that time and place. Like, I think that a film as it's produced reflects the time and period when which it was made uh, just by default, just by picking up ambient background noise. But I think there's a lot to be said of the film as it relates to the context of the 70s, right? So there's this idea Mo- of... The movie starts with sort of hippies, I guess you could say. It does, yeah. It so you can't tell if they're teens or if they're in their 20s. Sure. Seems like kind of maybe adults cast as t- as, as, as teenagers. Kids. Yeah. Um, because we needed that nudity later on and you can't do that with teenagers. But um, this idea of the films... The films focus first of all on, on economic uh, recession. Where the the big threat, the threat that the shark poses, is not necessarily the immediate threat to a oh, person. Nobody but seems to really care about, about all the people the, being killed. Yeah, like there's the sad mother, and that's about it. Um, everybody's more concerned about the economic threat to the island. Like even when Quint, well, threat- I I don't know if we can establish that 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 she's too sad. Like she's wearing black in in the height of summer, but she could just be a slave to fashion. Uh, okay. Okay. I think I think the read on that scene is is probably that she's a morning mother, but I accept I accept your alternative perspective on that, Andrew. Thank you. Okay, um, but um, what were we talking about? Oh yes, we were talking about the right. when Quint when Quint challenges the Islanders, right? He doesn't say this shark will keep coming and will keep picking you off. He's like, no, no, you don't want to be on welfare for winter. Oh yes. Yeah, and when um, and this movie this movie. Like, thematically, it, is a, it, it, it has a lot to do with class as well. Yeah. And um, even, what's his name? Even sort of, even uh, Mayor Bond. Yeah. Like, when he's, when the shark has, like, when he's witnessed the shark attack firsthand, the first word he says to Brody in the hospital is August. August. It's like, we can still save August if we get ahead of this thing somehow. Um, which takes a bit of, a bit of effort. Because he has to pay his taxes in October. Yeah. But I think there's... This interesting idea of the island of... And this is something that's, that's fascinating, right? So, like, do you see similarities between, say, Jaws and Moby Dick? Uh, particularly with the character of, say, Quint. Speaking Because when we're talking about a big American theme. Speaking as a Philistine, mm. who's never read Neither Moby Dick. Neither have I, but I've, I've, but I've <laughs> seen many film adaptations of it. Um, with Gregory Peck? Uh, yeah, and the remake, the, the PBS one with Patrick Stewart. And I suppose you can get the recent In the Heart of the Sea, directed by Ron Howard and starring Chris Hemsworth. Mm. Um, well. They, and I've watched Star Trek, and they quoted a lot on that. Oh, yes, yeah, in um, First seized, Contact. Yeah, he seized upon the whale's white hump, but some of all the fury in his soul. Had his chest been a cannon, he would have shot his heart upon it. I, in fact, I, I have a, a, 
friend of mine who loves Moby Dick, who, who, who now that I think of it, should have had on for this one. Do you, I think there's a strong connection to be made there, particularly with Quint yes. and his obsessive yeah. pursuit of the... Because uh, he's lost his mind and yeah. seems, seems, seems to have... Um, yeah, the, the funny thing is that we, we're like, they're forced to kind of measure themselves versus him as a man. Yeah. But he's a completely broken article. Yeah, he's completely psychotic. Like there's yeah. a point where Brody, where first of all, where he receives a call asking, does he want any assistance? And yeah. he's like, nope, nothing happening here. I'm just getting my harpoon gun for harpoon and stuff. We'll be back for dinner. Never mind. See, yeah, see, seems to still be suffering from PTSD yeah. from the Indianapolis oh, back in. We'll talk about it in a moment, actually. Yeah. I, when we're getting to this theme of like the American, the American themes. Vague enough for you. The American uh, ideas bubbling through it, but. Like, this idea, and I find it fascinating, do you think that there's... Moby Dick is arguably, like, the defining American novel. It's generally regarded as the first great American novel. I think it's not unreasonable to say. And you have stuff like Jaws, which was the first blockbuster, which resonated incredibly with audiences. Mm. Do you think that there's possibly some relation um, between the American identity and the sea, as opposed to, say, European identity and the sea? From sea to shining sea? I suppose, I suppose. But I mean, um, so maybe you think it's a bit of a stretch, but I just, I found it interesting that line, it's only an island if you look at it from the sea. Oh, yeah. Which immediately dismisses as completely I wrote that down. But it's a great line. And part of me sort of wonders if that's part of the American identity inside you, right? So the film was released in 1975. It's celebrating the 50th anniversary of Amity itself. It would have been around the time of the bicentennial celebrations of America itself. And part of me sort of wondering if at that point you had this sort of insecurity or this questioning of this idea of European settlers who still see America as an island because they still see it from the perspective of their ancestors who arrived there. The way that we talk about America, we were talking about this earlier, about America being discovered by Christopher Columbus despite the fact that indigenous populations have been living there since the dawn of time, pretty much, or since for millennia at least. We were talking about this. I think, was that off mic? That was off mic. But I'm just sort of, I was watching that, I was wondering, is that a statement? I've been told. Is it a statement? That um, that you think Jaws is making is it something that reflects the American character of America? That's that is interesting. Is that too deep a read? Is that a read that is akin to what we're talking about the shark as a giant, uh, the shark and the sea as male, masculine, and feminine symbols? Is am I reading too much into it? Hmm. Because yeah, I, I have an even deeper read going on, but we'll get to oh, that. Wow. Well, well, well. I feel like then, if if there is a deeper read, I, I'm, I may just leave the door. Somewhat open towards that. I, I, I believe at the moment there's 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 a gentleman called Donald Trump, Donald uh, Trump, Donald Trump, yes. who who would like to build a wall to, to keep uh, to yeah. Keep why out. why not build a moat? Yeah, and make it a complete island. Yes. You know? Yeah, I think I think you're right. There's a there's a certain sense of nationalist identity there, and I think the film does hit on that with the islander and non-islander theme mm. as well. Um, but specifically, and that's that's modern as well. I think there was a, an interesting article in the Atlantic about how there's a current fixation on national borders. I think you see it with Brexit as well, and this idea yeah. that you can be an island in the stage of globalization. And maybe maybe that's part of it. But I think I think the Jaws thing. I think well, an island never cries. Did they say that? That's a really odd idiom. It's a very that's uh, Paul Simon. All right. I'm a rock. I'm an island. And a rock feels no pain, and an island never cries. Yeah, did it, it, it uh, um, as opposed to John Donne, who said, no man is an island. Paul it, Simon would clearly disagree with that, I said. 
Really? Yeah, was, was that something we did during our junior certificate examination? Possibly. Yeah. Possibly. But anyway, deeper read. <laughs> I do beg your pardon. Deeper read. Shall we go deeper? Deeper read. Alright, so, film released in 1975, immediately following the aftermath of the Vietnam War, in which countless people and an entire generation had gone off to die and had been lost, uh, led astray by their politicians and their leaders, and by a media who initially presented it as a just war before the Pentagon Papers, uh, before the exposure um, at the Fall of Saigon and stuff like that. This is deep. Where you have an island in which sending young people overseas is presented as something dangerous and something hostile, um, and something that leads to bloodshed and violence as a natural consequence. That is not a result of um, the actions that happen overseas, in the same way that I think after Vietnam there was a perception that it was a war that the United States did not need to be involved in. It was something that they chose to be involved in, um, as opposed to something that happened, a direct aggression that they responded to and they were justified in responding to. Um, I think that when you get to Jaws, you have the politician, and it's, it's mindful that the politician you shows up... You weren't there, man! That the politician shows up uh, with the journalist in the same car, and they talk to Brody, and they tell him that everything's fine, he has to keep the beaches open, he has to not sound any alarms. Yeah, no, um, no photos of coffins. Yes, that sort of thing. Well, he doesn't want to cut the shark open. He doesn't want to cut the shark to... open because the people don't want to see the that. child inside. Let, let, let alone um, him admit that there's a child. Quite aside from whether that shark has eaten a child or not, let people not see. Yeah, that. which I think is yeah. as well. And I mean, there's even the bit where he's the politician himself, like Mayor Vaughn. It's, he's on the beach. Larry Vaughn. Larry Vaughn, uh, our hero. Um, he's on the beach, um, and he's always nobody's in the water. And he immediately oh, yeah. picks. He immediately picks a bunch of people, um, and he tells them to get in the water and with a, their kids. An old, uh, a, a rather elderly couple, but, and they're but they're children. That's and and they're very young children. They're three very young children, and it's it's a great. Scene. Are those like a grandfather? A grandmother and their grandchildren? Yeah, and the parents got up and went to the bathroom. They're going to be really annoyed when they get back. Yeah. But I think that's that's to demonstrate the idea Blame of, Larry Vaughan. Blame Larry Vaughan. Uh, he's not getting re-elected next year. Irascible scamp. Yeah. But I think it's to, to sell this idea of children sort of sending their, their children off. Because the way that it's yeah. shot as well when they wade into the water, the grandparents have put the children on the yellow life raft as if yes. offering it up as some sort of sacrifice. Uh, yeah, um, and, and, and there, yeah, you very much get that, that he's sending them... Um, basically out to die uh, yeah. or knowing that they could die or knowing that they will die there's, uh, there's, there's, you get that sensation during a lot of the scenes when there are people in the water with sharks yeah. early in the movie who's going to die? Ooh, who is that person? who is it this time? yeah Alright, so I think we've, we've talked about themes perhaps a bit enough. And perhaps we talked... We, 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 can, we can run to a... I think the reason we did themes first was we thought we're going we to be talking about scenes for a really long time. Yeah, so let's, let's, let's do a quick thematic roundup. In fairness, maybe being quicker if I hadn't... Digressed about Robocop 2 and Erwin Gerstner and yeah. Larry Bonds as the hero of summer. Yeah. But I don't know, it's, it's grand. I mean, those are all fun digressions. Let's talk about memorable yeah. scenes, because the film is full of memorable scenes. Yes, it certainly it really is. This is a film where you recognize That was the difficulty scene. we were having. We were watching this, and we turned to each other, and, and like a scene each after said scene. at the same time, there are too many great scenes. But yeah, no, it, like, the thing about Jaws is that it's fantastically constructed. Um, it's Spielberg's third theatrical release. 
uh, which is remarkable for it. What were the first two? Spielberg's previous two cinematic releases, feature-length cinematic releases, were Firelight released in 1964, uh, and then he took a gap. He did a lot of television work. He did a lot of shorts work. He did a lot of TV episodes. Firelight. Um, and the Sugarland Express in, Sugarland in Express. 1974, which does sound a little bit like the kind of movie Sylvester Stallone made before making Rocky. It does. It does. Bef- before, before making Judge Dredd and, and Demolition Man with, know, with Roy Scheider. Yep. <laughs> Thank you, Andrew. We're never going to forget that. Um, but yeah, this is basically this was his third cinematic release, which is shows an astounding, an astounding confidence and an astounding sort of stuff. Like every sequence in it is memorable in some way, shape, or form. Yes. Um, particularly the tension, the mountain tension. There are, there Holy are moly! Like, how, how are we going to do this? Do we? Are we just going to go kind of because it could be so easy to talk to talk about. Every about single every scene. single scene. All right, well, let's go with shark attacks. What was your favorite shark attack from this? Shark attacks. I wrote them down. There were six shark attacks. All right, so how are we going to rank these babies? Chronologically. Okay. <laughs> last. Okay. Uh, we're, we're, we're only counting shark attacks here um, where the shark uh, kills its victim. As opposed to just menacing it. As opposed to just menacing it. So. Sorry, Hooper. Although, although um, Jaws 5... Return of Quint. <laughs> Which may be difficult, given that Robert Shaw has unfortunately passed away. That is the difficulty currently. <laughs> That's the production difficulty that we're having. Yeah, we're waiting for some Jaws 4 voodoo. Yeah, to, to bring um, Robert Shaw back. But yeah. only, art, only art imitating no, life. Only life imitating art? Art imitating life imitating art. Only in the novelization, though. Which I like. I like the idea that you were making Jaws 4 and you felt that one of the scenes that you cut well, was the scene which explained how the shark had come back from the dead after being exploded at the end of the first <laughs> Jaws. Like, that's a detail the audience doesn't need to worry about. It'll only confuse them. Anyway, so shark attacks, chronologically, first attack, which yes. happens within the first, first attack, five Chrissy. Yes. Chrissy, what's your name again? Chrissy! Yeah. And? It's the iconic scene. It it's is. It's the scene that everybody It certainly remembers. is. And and it's a scene that if it had just been that in the in 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 the trailer, everybody would have went to see it, and everybody did. Yeah. <laughs> because this was the first blockbuster, wasn't yes, it? Yes, we're gonna we'll yeah. talk about that in a moment. But yeah. Yeah, but but yes, it it's it's um uh you you can't you can't kind of with um trying trying not to sound like a creep. This is this is a sexy scene, yeah. and and it, and it's intentionally so. The, um, yeah, the way that she's shot, the way that she moves, the stripping as she runs. Yeah. Um, yeah, no, it's, it's very much... And it's meant she to be, says, he says, I'm coming, I'm coming, I'm coming. Now, and Andrew was chuckling. <laughs> Andrew was no, chuckling no, 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 no. And, and, and then she takes off her clothes and he says, doesn't he say, I'm definitely coming now. Yes. Yeah, I don't know if that was intended. I, I suspect I've, it was intended. You don't put that in accidentally. No? No. no he, okay. Um... Okay, and then so, so that's yeah. the first shark attack. It's fantastic. that's the first she's shark attack. She and yeah, it, it's 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 one of these uh, when when you look at a movie like The Reef, you see like um, sharks attacking that are terrible. Don't watch that movie, yeah. um, or watch it just to realize how how, how good Jaws is. is like yeah, there's, she's getting pulled over and back. She's hitting the boy at some point. Yeah, and then she's pulled under, and then rather yeah. than focusing on the shark itself, it's just yeah. it's, the, it's the still water in a bubble. Yeah. yeah. Which is amazing, and then you see the 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 completely oblivious, ineffectual, emasculated, sorry, emasculated, impotent yeah, boyfriend. yeah, yeah, and it has to explain it to the to uh, Rob Schneider. 
<laughs> Sorry. Uh, okay. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. Never going to live that down. No, I beg of uh, All right, so second shark attack. Second shark attack. Second shark attack is probably the one that's spoken about the least. Can you guess? Uh, given I've just watched the film, actually. So I'm trying to think what the second shark... Is this the, the roast one? No, it's not. It's the... I'm just going to come out and tell it's you. It's the boy, isn't it? The boy gets eaten. It's a dog. Oh, yes, that's right. Yes. Yeah. Uh, it's implied, even. We it's all, explicitly stated. It is not explicitly stated, but we all know. Which is a great example of Spielberg visually communicating stuff. Right? Yeah. And it's, it's interesting. So all of a sudden, it's like, where's... Where's I don't even know. Everybody else has a name. I'm sure. I'm sure the dog was also given a name in the movie. I seem to have forgotten it. Um, Where's the dog? Yeah, because you see the, the the stick or the bone floating yeah. in the water idly, which is it's great because Spielberg's really really good at that of communicating stuff. Um, it's interesting because I think Jaws has had a bit of a backlash recently when it comes to discussing Spielberg's work. Mm. Um, I think it's because the 40th anniversary came up and because. Jaws is followed by Close Encounters of the Third Kind, which is the most Spielbergian of films. It's one of the few films in which he's credited on the script as well. It's like it's Spielberg's tropes um, sort of distilled to their, their logical essence. I think that people have come to see Jaws as like something that he did before that mm. um, and tend to be quite dismissive. So, for example, when people talk I, uh, about... Like, this, this movie is tremendous. It I, is. I, 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 we're 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 talking about it now a little bit kind of like scene by scene but yeah it's sorry nice. sorry but um like people talk about spielberg's direction of it as if he's just doing a hitchcock ripoff so mm. he does the thing like there's that great long angle shot when the shark attacks the boy on the yellow raft um which is the third shark attack actually so yes jump, which is a nice segue we've sort of proceeded on to that but the camera pulls back on brody so it zooms in as it pulls out and it gives you this wonderfully effect. What a shot. And it is. And there's the sequence during that as well where the people are walking in front of the cameras um, and the, the shots are getting closer and closer and more claustrophobic. And this is as well during the day. Yeah. As opposed to the last, the first, the first scene, scene of the movie. Takes place at night. Takes place at night. Yeah. So you have this shark attack and it's very violent, but it's not gory. And it's not dark. Be, 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 yeah, exactly. It's dark. You can't see anything. During the third shark attack, because you don't see the dog getting eaten. Yeah, it's only suggested during this third. It's in the middle. So of the day. gory. It's well, in it's the middle of the, 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 the. Well, like it's not. It's not as gory as like today, but it's certainly like visceral. It, 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 it is visceral. It affects you, and and, it, and maybe it affects you more because of the first scene. There is some. Uh, there is more discretion. Left, yeah, exactly. Uh, whereas this is quite candid. Like you actually see the shark shape. Swallowing yeah. and dragging the thing down. All of a sudden, a child it's is gone, there, yeah. and the the water's full. The of water's blood. full of blood. Yeah, which I think is very, very effective. Um, and very affecting. Yeah. Because and when, 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 when the mother, sorry, when, yeah. when, when the mother runs to shore, because everyone is rushed in. Yeah. Off, onto the beach to get away from the shark, and the mother can't find her son. Um. And you have the little washed-up yellow, the torn yes. yellow yeah, 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 wrap, yeah. which is a fantastic. Again, that's another fantastic way of demonstrating. It's like the, um, it's like the dog's floating bone. It's like it's uh, indicating the absence of something by the presence of the remains, you know, by, yeah. by what's left behind, uh, which is fantastic. And again, it's shot in the middle of the day, and it's fantastically tense. Um, Very. And I think- because there are a few moments where you feel like it's about to happen and it doesn't. Yeah, and then it does. And, then and, it and it's astounding how the camera stays on the shark swallowing the <laughs> thing as well, because you're sort of you're conditioned to expect a quick jump scare 
or you're conditioned to expect it popping out of nowhere. But you actually get to see the shark drag the thing down in the distance. So the fourth shark attack, Andrew. Fourth shark attack is actually another one that that you're that you're not likely to. Oh no, we're not, we're only counting ones where the shark eats people, right? Where the shark eats people? Okay, yeah, so there, there, I, I had written I had written down one as as a close call. Yeah. I had already written I I had already circled this hidden <laughs> shark attack number four. <laughs> and then it turned out the two guys survived. Turned out the two guys survived. But again, it has this wonderful Spielberg touch. Well, first of all, it's got this theme of masculinity. Let's, the, yeah, let, let's let's talk about the close call. Yeah, because the two guys are like, "What about Chief Brody?" And the guy's like, "He's on the other side of the island." And it's like it's a great scene that demonstrates how completely. <laughs> the people of the island disrespect Brody. Yeah. How uh, readily they dismiss him. And it's then... like, your wife is going to kill you. <laughs> yeah. uh, b- b- but don't worry about the chief of police. <laughs> because they're throwing in the... The Sunday roast. The holiday roast. The holiday roast. And he's like, yeah, $3,000 buys a lot of roast. Yeah. Um, which is great, because it's kind of like a cross between a country hick and a mafia boss. But they throw it in, and the shark falls... Your impression is? <laughs> not your impression is, uh, not the actual actor but uh, the shark eats it, and it's great because it pulls the jetty out, which gives you a nice sense of oh, scale. That... It gives you a sense of power of this thing, yeah. even though you can't see it. And, and then, then... Then you have it drag. It drags the jetty out. And this is one of those great examples of so, Spielberg's so suspense good. direction. Because the guy's in the water splashing. I so the badly jetty's... wanted the shark to eat yeah. somebody at that point. <laughs> the jetty, the, what, the remains of the jetty are just floating in the water, and then they turn. Yeah. And they start chasing the guy. And it's this bit of woods that that is standing it's, in for the shark, yes. and it's just as terrifying. It is. It's fantastic. It's an indicator of where the shark is, even though you can't see the shark. Yeah, which which is so clever and effective. I, I don't know how that works, but it does. It does. It just it's, works. It's yeah. Uh, but I mean, Spiller does it later on with the with the with the barrels, the yellow barrels as well. Yes. But I think at night that sequence of the jetty is just it's incredible. And there, it's there, the fact that the, like. You have to, if you, even if you think about it logically, right? The jetty turns, which doesn't really make sense when you think the shark probably swam under it. Like, mm. the, the jetty probably wouldn't turn, it would just start moving in the opposite direction. The, the, but the fact the, that it turns the is shark believes in doing things, things in a stylish way. Yeah, you know, we're going to do this properly. But it, it is, it grabs you and it's, it's a memorable visual. It's stunning. So, anyway, have we found the actual, the fourth shark attack? Yes, we certainly have. Okay. It, it was the one that I thought it was. Um, Skipping the two guys that don't die. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> Who Andrew wished did die. <laughs> a little bit. I, I mean, they were the comic relief. The rodeo clowns. Yeah. Um, did not get gorged. Do you know who did? Who did get gored, Andrew? Ben Gardner. Who's Ben Gardner? Ben Gardner was a fisherman who went out in a boat. Presumably while all the, the hicks or whatever were out throwing dynamite and chumming, the shark was like, I kind of see, well, see what they're doing here. I'm just going to be over here eating this guy. Yeah. And 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 he he uh, he's he's found in the um, gunnel or yeah. is that what you call it? Yeah, I, I don't know. So. We're not very we're 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 going to get enough marks for nautical terms here. Yeah, let, let's 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 get Joseph Conrad in. But uh, <laughs> but um, it's one of the films few jump scares as well, actually. Mm. It's and I, I remember when I watched it the first time, that one really got me. Yeah, even though cause, the shark's because his eyeball is coming out. Yeah, which is amazing. It it's is. great. It is really, really creepy. Which suggests as well that the shark took his time because it's yeah. like, what would be nice to have next? I think I will have An eyeball. your eyeball. Yeah. Because yeah. you imagine as well the shark doesn't really have fingers and it's not very nimble. and it's like, No. So, so it, was, it took a lot of work to get that eyeball out and just to have that. It was, it was yeah. 
Yeah, this is a shark who knows what he likes. Yeah, it's not called a delicacy for nothing. You have yeah. to be delicate. Yeah, With- like, yeah, don't always be a shark. Nobody can see you. You're, you're on your own. Yeah. The sky. You have to have yeah. like things that keep you. You're a big grey penis, floating through a big floating blue through vagina. a big blue vagina. Take your time eating this person's face. Okay, thank you, Andrew. You're uh, maybe even a bit too, maybe it was too deep a read. Maybe it was too deep. A read. Was it was was there a body part as well of 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 this person, or, or was it just the? No, it's later on. There's a leg. Oh yes, but yeah, we'll yeah, get yeah. To that in the 50th we time. we certainly will be, um, be, be, because. Um, but Gardner and it's a nice and it's Spielberg does this thing. He he's very good at setting up visual cues. Like his, mm. he doesn't necessarily foreshadow through dialogue um, or through plot. He tends to use the camera as an actor to draw you as as a director yeah. to draw your attention to things that will be important later on. So when um, because he's so artful in the way he uses the camera. If you're if if suddenly there's a shot of a gas tank, yeah, you know that's it's it's a choice, yeah, um, and you know that this will be so that when the gas tank is used later on, it's it's relevant. Mm. And the same thing here, where in the attack on Gardner, when uh, Richard Dreyfus picks out the shark thing, he gets the jump scare and he drops the shark tooth and his torch to the bottom, uh, which happens. A terrible dropper. He is. Like, if you're sending one person into the ocean, don't send... Hooper. Don't send the most droppiest... Yes. Yeah. Because it happens later on... Marine biologist. When he's attacked by the shark, he drops, like, the poison that he has to kill the shark. He's like alpha dropper. Yeah. Uh, and it doesn't work at all. But it's a nice visual setup for what happens later on with much graver stakes. Like, he drops the shark tooth. No big deal. Although one imagines that it would have been easier to convince the mayor to close the beaches if they had the shark tooth. Makes a big point of saying that as well. Yeah. Um, uh, as as if to further compound his embarrassment, because Hooper knows um, it's been the bane of his life. His dropping, dropping things, and yeah. especially for somebody who works primarily underwater in, in a cage, yeah, um, where you drop something, you're not getting it back. Yeah, that 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 could have been how 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 he became so obsessed with the sea in looking for things that he had dropped. Yeah. Um, okay, so fifth shark attack. Fifth shark attack. Fifth shark attack. I don't know this guy's name. He's guy in boat. Guy in boat is nice to kids. He's in a ridiculously small boat. Yeah, and he's bothering kids when he should be looking behind him. Yeah, in fact, in in fact, the kids have a bigger boat. Yeah, and but there are three of them. There are three of them. Um, He is a tiny boat. Uh, just to, to just to bring masculinity yeah, into, into the metaphor. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. Did he um, and he's warning the kids. He's like, "Hey, kids, what are you doing?" He's, he's like, "Yeah, you need something you need, vague." Yeah, and you need a hand, which you is need a hand. Because, you need a hand. Because because either the, he's helpful or he's a another <laughs> creep. We, I think this, we this was the seventies. We watched Pred- and we watched Prisoners a little while ago. Andrew's still sort of uh, still fixated upon that. Yes, um, the. Um, but yeah, it's ironic because he says you need a hand, and then he gets gulled by the shark, and you get this nice shot of his leg. It's his leg, and it's door. such a good leg. It is. It's a great. The, very yeah, that, the, prop that, is the prop is amazing because yeah. there's like blood still on it, and, and, and yeah, and but you it's can, toned and it's athletic, and it's yeah, like, yeah, yeah. It's like a, it's got hair on it. It's a, there's a great attention to detail in that leg prop. Fantastic. Yeah. And but, and again, we're talking about the the Spielberg director moments. Welcome right? back to Leg Man. Yeah, we really like legs. Um, talking about great Spielbergian directorial moments or choices, the sequence where they realize the shark isn't in the ocean but is in the shallows. 
um, there's this great scene of Brody running through the crowd. And it's, it's one of those things, like we were talking about how you compare Spielberg to Hitchcock. Mm. Um, and how a lot of people have come to see Jaws, or how cynical people have maybe come to see Jaws as a film in which Spielberg is aping um, the style of, of, of Hitchcock. That sequence is very much a Spielberg sequence where Brody realizes that his son is in the shallows and the shark is also in the shallows and he runs and the camera follows him as he's running, but it follows him through a crowd. So you only see his head fleetingly as he's running through the crowd of spectators and the camera sort of pans him and then he's on his own as he's running. Um, It's a wonderfully confident, very comfortable, very well-constructed shot that helps to kind of give this impression of Brody as a man who exists apart from the others on the island, where he is fighting to be heard until he gets out on his own, and then he's he's free reign. He's 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 gone. Wow. Yeah. Okay. I, 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 no, I, no, no, I, no. I I I, 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 um, lis- listening to you to you to you talk about that scene. That that that's that's a that's a very good description. This is a great podcast. <laughs> you should be listening to it more. Um, okay, so that's the fifth podcast. That's the fifth podcast. That's the fifth attack. The sixth attack, Andrew, is the one everybody also remembers. Yes. But I think we should have an interval um, in which we talk about the five, or we'll call it six A, where the shark attacks but fails to kill Hooper, because you're going to be our expert on this panel. Andrew has actually literally swum with sharks. Or swam with sharks. Uh, yes. Well, um, I, I, I've, 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 I hesitate to say swim. Um, I, I've, I've, I've done what Hooper did up until the point where, where... you drop the poison needle. Yeah. And yeah, the shark yeah. attacks you from behind. And the shark attacks from behind. Which is odd in the big ocean, because you'd imagine that the shark... Like, the shark can swim fast. A big grey penis coming from behind. <laughs> yes, yes. That, see, are you, are you getting it now? Are you getting it now, Andrew? I'm finally on, he's finally on board. Yeah, yeah, he's finally landed that, that metaphor. But um, it seems really odd that the shark is able to, like, sneak up on him, because he's a big shark. Now, I realise he swims fast. But you imagine when you're in the cage, you well, should be like... you know they say, like, in the sea, no one can hear you scream. Or is that that's something That's exactly else? what they say. Um, <laughs> that's what everybody says. Yeah, it's, that's the idiom. Yeah. Uh, it's like meeting a stranger in the Alps. Nobody can hear a shark. Yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it's like meeting a stranger in the Alps, yeah. Yeah. But, um, <laughs> so you were off the coast of South Africa, I believe. Yes, I was off the coast of South Africa in a cage with, with great white sharks and you were talking about it because you were saying yeah. like it's, it's instinctual like so they were they were um chumming at this point so they were throwing in like the the, the fish remains or whatever yeah yeah um and so was the water sort of reddish or was yeah it? there would there would have been like you probably don't want to keep your mouth too wide open yeah um well, so, so 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 you, you had the apparatus, yeah right? you're you're trying to breed through um your snorkel yeah um and then the um the shark Comes up to the tank, um, and but like, so Im- immediately, even even though you you would imagine you're not in danger, because why would anybody do this? What would the insurance <laughs> as dangerous yeah. as it seems? Um, but still, you find yourself kind of like, well, I found myself anyway, um, uh, like immediately blurting. And the, the the snorkel coming out of my mouth and going, blah, 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 which 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 is the reaction that, that Richard Dreyfus's character Hooper eventually has um, when the shark starts coming. Just much later than I did. Yeah, just coming <laughs> through. Are the proportion? What are the proportions like? Actually, having been in there, this was, this was wider. 
Okay. So, um, so I was there, and there were two other people in the cage. Oh, in the same cage. Right. I think so. I think right. so. Yeah. There may be a video of this. Okay. Well, we may put it up in the show notes. We may do. Um, but I like that Hooper. Hooper is attacked and mauled, but he manages to escape by sneaking off and hiding down the bottom of the reef, mm. uh, which is a nice touch. And then he sort of circles. He comes back up at the end once everything's been dealt with. He's like, "So, by you a, took care of that." By the way, anyone, any, anyone who wants to. Um, or uh, what am I trying to say? I just interrupted Darren. <laughs> anyone who in, wants to, in, anyone who wants to, or anyone who's heard that description of uh, cage diving with the great white, um, it's a fantastic experience. Oh, Absolutely, go ahead. Endorse it, even though it's I would terrifying. It. Like you describe it as a primal fear. Yeah, I I feel like that that's its appeal. Okay. Um, feel feeling like you may you may die. Hmm. Makes you feel alive. Just me. <laughs> What's the point in living if you can't feel alive, Andrew? To get yeah. a bit James Bonding on us here. Yeah, to do to, 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 um, live and let... Live and let die? Yeah. But um, okay, another so, day. So let's talk about uh, the sixth shark attack, which is, of course, Armand Quint. Armand Quint. Almost has the same name as me. But not quite. Yes. And does not like cage diving with sharks. No, the, he's, does he's it? Much more old school. Yeah, yeah. He's on the whole. I would say he's against the whole the, ca- cage, cage diving. Shark. Yeah, which makes this question: Is he really a shark person? The, yeah, is is he really the big man that we we think he is? Yeah. What? Although, <laughs> what's with that shark? <laughs> the shark really it's, likes. Yeah, but the the the, the, the um, this is perhaps a reason why there's so much artful use of things that aren't the shark to represent the shark. The shark. Because um, the shark is is terrible. It was a notoriously terrible prop. They put it in the salt water and discovered that the salt water was not conducive to it. Despite the fact corrode the parts, it corroded the parts to, and despite the fact that the shark prop cost a lot of money. A lot of money. A lot of money. Spielberg ended up not using it and shooting largely around it, which is ironic because I think it, it makes the film a better film. Yeah. Because um, when the shark shows up at the end, it's it's not good. Mm, yeah, I I feel like up until that point, and and actually, I was thinking while watching the movie, is there anything I don't like about this so far? That shark prop. That's it. More, 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 and only, only, only that. Um, moments just before uh, it gets quint. It gets quint. Yeah. There, there is a moment there where it seems to kind of flop like it's made of foam. Yeah. And um, yes. Yeah. But that's it. This movie was made in 1975. And it looks fantastic. Still, still better than shark movies made in 2015. Yeah. Well, let's let's talk about the other scene. So, what what jumped out at you apart from the the six shark attacks and the two near misses? Like, what would be if you were to pick one scene from Jaws or one detail or what you really liked about it what you liked about it like I think Spielberg I think Spielberg's fantastic I there, think it's a, a there, recognizable it's a problem we're just spoiled for choice there, 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 there are so many from 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 little moments like Polly in 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 the office, his yes. secretary talking about karateing the white fence, but I think it was yeah, white and completely oblivious, and they're each oblivious because neither of them are listening to each other or having the same conversation or having the same conversation. The I liked a lot of the small town points. I wonder if if small town details, I should yeah. say. I wonder if it was a choice 
that sometimes you can't understand what Quint is saying. Because... Or whether that was just like Robert Shaw showed up and uh, <laughs> I was like, and nobody and Spielberg was afraid to challenge him. Well, well did, have you, have you ever had that experience of of um, like um, neither of us are out and out city slickers? Um, no, by, we, we by, both, by any means. No, we both um, came from the country. We both came from the same country city, actually. Yeah. Town, yeah. Um, but we'll each have, have... Well, I certainly would have had experiences of... Um, even members... Of, <laughs> um, even, like, a, extended members of my family who I can't understand what they're saying. Yeah. And, yeah. And, and, and that makes you feel like you don't belong to a place. Yeah. When, think, when, when this is a place you're meant to belong to and... and, and where the, you live. And where you live... Yeah. Um, and there's this person talking in in their um, natural way, colloquial, yeah. Uh, yeah, and you and you can't understand a word. Which is yeah, I think we talked about that when we talked about Quint. Yeah, Quint yeah. is yeah, Quint is very much he's a local native islander, and nobody questions him. And you get the sense that even when he's talking, that you know we have difficulty understanding him as the audience. But you wonder, does Brody or does Hooper really understand him either? And they're just too intimidated to to raise their hands and say, "Sorry, I, I lost you at the bit where you said shark." Well, apparently, um, a lot of um, a lot of this was a lot of it was improvised. Particularly, a lot of Quint's um, dialogue was improvised by Robert Shaw, including, I believe, the speech about the Indianapolis. A lot of that just wow. was Shaw talking among them. Uh, sorry, Shaw sort of articulating or what? Because that felt very genuine, real. Yeah, yeah. Well, I think, and it's like the way he spoke about it. It wasn't bombastic or let me tell you a story. Yeah. Or and, and and the way he signs out on it, it's kind of like yeah, because he repeats nineteen forty five. He repeats the line like we we deliver the bomb. We deliver that's the thing to yeah. take out of it, which is nice. But I think it ties back into the Vietnam War theme as well because he's talking about his his encounter with the shark during the Second World War hmm. and how that's tied to say the bombing of Hiroshima. Yeah, and it seems like a very weird detail to come back to. Like it would feel forced, except for the way that Shaw delivers it. It's like the end note of it is look. He's so good. Uh, Seven hundred of us got eaten by sharks, but in the end, we did what we had to do. We won the war. Yeah, in our estimation. It's like the sharks and the Japanese were, were the all, all in, in the same. And it's sort of a conspiracy against yeah. the allies. The sharks were the secret enemies. The the Axis allies. I just want to sort of talk about Shaw and the casting of this. For yeah. Second, right. Because reportedly, right? Reportedly, okay. Charlton Heston huh. was very interested in playing the lead. And I'm not sure, I did a bit of researching, I couldn't find which lead. I wasn't sure whether or not he'd be playing Brody or whether or not he'd be playing Quint. But he was, then there was studio interest. I imagine in him as Brody. Yeah. Sort of like, uh, well, he'd be a hyper-masculine. Yeah, I don't think it would be an iconic movie. Yeah. I don't think it would have worked. Um, maybe his reading of it would have would have had... Which I don't see him playing Quint. I don't, I don't see Heston choosing to play Quint. Okay. I feel like him him choosing to play Brody and making it making it uh, about a heroic yeah, yeah making Brody much stronger and whatever, but I think it, it's Spielberg basically cast three almost character actors um, as opposed to three conventional leading men. I think like Schneider Schneider's probably the most conventional leading man there. I didn't um, say it that time. No, you didn't say it that time. I said it that time. Spielberg does the same with Jurassic Park as well, right? Jurassic Park is a film. That is a massive blockbuster about dinosaurs that stars yeah. Sam Neill, which is some Australian Northern Irish guy who was in that movie where Billy Zane gets on a yacht and tries to kill Nicole Kidman. It also stars Jeff Goldblum, who was the man who was turned into a fly. And it also stars Laura Dern, who is that woman who appeared in a couple of those films by David Lynch. 
Like it's very much a B movie cast. Like you could imagine yeah. them. You imagine Goldblum, Dern, and Sam Neill starring in a in a dinosaur movie where the dinosaurs are played by Ray Harryhausen sort of stop motion figures. Um, and I think it works very well that you have this contrast. What? Like Spielberg, Spielberg with Jaws did the same thing. Like Dreyfus, Dreyfus is Dreyfus is phenomenal. Yeah. But he's you look at him and you think he's a character. Like he's very much a character actor. And for him to be like the second lead, and it's because when he shows up on the island, like he doesn't recognize Brody's an authority figure. He he, he nudges Brody's like, can you tell me who the chief is around here? Um, and later on when Brody's, he's the one who tells Brody that he can't put eight people on a boat or they're going to top over. Um, and he's the one. Hey, yeah. And, and, and that, that scene is fantastic because of how it's a big part of Hooper's character, how snide he is. Because yeah. he's like, they're going to die. Yeah. You're all going to die. You're all going to die. He walks off cheerfully. Boop -a -doop -a -doop. Yeah. <laughs> I'm getting on in my day. Yeah. It's like, you fools. Yeah. In there, he's, there's no moral outrage or tragedy. It's just no. like... <laughs> he's just like, I'm smart and you guys are going to die. Yeah. Like, I gave you one warning. Um, yeah. And then you made a joke about me walking into the ocean. Yeah. Um, so that's grand. Your death is on you. And and then him... him uh, his doubts about about the the tiger shark being the shark, and suddenly the proud islanders who've who've slayed oh, this, this shark. Is, this is really and, good. Yeah, the yeah, like, yeah. What kind and, of shark is and it? And he's like, wow. <laughs> yeah, he's like, like a tiger shark. Why? <laughs> All the islanders sort of yeah. look like hicks. Strangely enough, turn around. They're like, what? What? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And 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 they're kind of like, um, it's almost like they're poking him with their finger and saying, you. Yeah, because the, the um, following bit is the bit where bite radius. How about I shove your head in there and you see if he's a man eater? Yeah, um, yeah. And 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 uh, Hooper has this line. Um, oh, I should have written it down. Where it's basically like. I think it might, may be the shark or may not be the shark. I, I, I really don't want to get beaten up. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Says, yeah, these guys, I don't want them to beat me up. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, He's you... like, oh, we're just having a, a discussion about what kind of shark it is. And I'm, <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm hoping that I don't get the snot kicked out of me. <laughs> I'm terrified of the fact that these guys will beat me up because I'm smarter than them. Which and 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 I wonder, like you you were you were maybe astute in suggesting that um, uh, anti-Semitism yes. might 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 be because I I uh, um, maybe I'm thick. I just it it hadn't occurred to me. But of course, as soon as as soon as you say it, you realize, of course. Well, that's the thing. When um, when he meets Quint for the first time, Quint grabs his hands really viscerally, and he's mm. like, "By the way, shark's gonna eat you, and you got smooth hands from counting money." Uh, and you're like, oh, for, "Okay, yeah, okay, Quint." Because for, first thing he says is like, uh, "Tie me a sheep shank." Yeah. No problem. Hooper ties a sheep shank, and he's like, "Oh, damn I need it. another reason." Show me your them. hands. Yeah, yeah, them. those are Jew hands. Yeah, can't so, be having those on the ship. Yeah, um, and it, it's kind of fascinating that you should say this, right? Because um, uh, yeah, there, there's some there's some overt anti-Semitism there, um, which is is interesting because Spielberg uh, himself is is Jewish, and he's talked about how when mm. he was younger, yeah. he had a lot of difficulty relating to his Jewish identity, his parents' uh, Jewish mm. practice. And also, when he was in school, he was picked on because he was Jewish. Yeah. Um, and you get a sense watching the film that maybe Hooper is perhaps something of an identification character well, for him. Yeah, I wonder if, like, for 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 Hooper, 
What's it? Well, well, oh, I have, I have a quote here, actually. So Spielberg told me about high school about how the anti-Semitic experience. In high school, I got smacked and kicked around. Two bloody noses. It was horrible. And you sort of you see that when Hooper's, as you said, it's like, I don't want to get beat up about this. Mm. Yeah, that, and... and the, because for me, the first thing that occurred to me was like, oh, it's like anti-intellectualism or it's um, uh, reverse snobbery. Yeah. Like where, where and, and, and Hooper even says at one point, because let's be clear, at no point does Hooper say, you anti-Semite. Yeah. <laughs> um, at no point does anybody actually accuse him of being a Jew. Expert. No, 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 absolutely not. But, but what he does say is like, um, I'm not going to listen to this uh, working class hero crap. Yeah. Which, 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 which is, which is um, because uh, Hooper quite openly um, is, wealthy. is is wealthy. He says, like, how did you get all this equipment? I'm rich. <laughs> My family paid for. Oh no, yeah, I'm rich. How rich? Me or the whole family? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Right. Where, where he's, it, it's like I think I think generally with, with somebody who's who's um, uh, maybe upper middle class. They're almost kind of embarrassed about it. No, Hooper. Uh, like, yeah. Hooper, Hooper, Hooper is very comfortably kind of. Yeah. I got money. Yeah. I am better than you. <laughs> I'm also smarter too. Yeah. Um, was it? Yeah. When he tells Brody, "You're going. When I leave, you're going to be the only rational person left on this island." Yeah. And 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 the moment where Hooper and Brody meet is is the moment where it's like, "Hey, we're the same." <laughs> we, we understand. Yeah. 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 Well. Yeah. Where 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 it's kind of framed in terms of like, oh. Thank God you're the um, the marine biologist yeah. I ordered. Brody's but there is so much enthusiasm. <laughs> yeah, Brody's it's like, like thank goodness, somebody's thank finally God, here. Finally. Um, yeah, it's not just like your plumber has arrived. It's no, no, like, it's like this is the man who's going to save us. And it's, again, I love that sequence. Like, Brody like basically... two odd ducks. Yeah, but when, when Hooper shows up, Brody immediately sort of deputizes him, right? Because... Um, Hooper's like they're talking to the, like the eight guys who are mm. loading onto a boat and going to yeah. fall down and then this guy walks past with dynamite <laughs> um, and there's a sequence where Hooper's and Hooper is the one who takes charge Hooper's like Brody you should probably stop that guy with dynamite and Brody kind of does and it's a great sequence because Brody doesn't act, if you watch the sequence Brody doesn't stop the guy with the dynamite Brody grabs a hold of the dynamite but the guy refuses to let go and so Brody has to go off and have a conversation with the guy about the dynamite and like immediately deputizes Hooper to be like, okay, you get those eight guys out yeah. of the boat. You're it's, your it's sheriff. It's a small now. town, and <laughs> while you may be the, the the sheriff, and by the way, there's a great line. I think almost more than there being uh, great scenes, which there are in this movie, there are so many great lines. Yeah. There's um, well, this the bit where he says, "Where you know, I say we cut that shark open right now," and uh, yes. you know, and Brody oh, agrees with him, and the wife's like, "Can you do that?" and Taking a swig from his mixture of whiskey and red wine, Brody, drunk on power, declares, I'm the <laughs> sheriff. I can do I can anything. Do anything. <laughs> yes. uh, and later on, Amazing. they have the conversation about how he's not drunk enough to get on the ocean yet. Oh, yeah. Uh, and uh, there's stuff between, um, between Brody and his wife. Like, the, do you want to get drunk and fool around? Right. Which is a great and, little detail. Yeah, and, and there's, there's a moment where his son has just gotten a boat. And uh, Brody knows that there's been a shark attack, and he's shouting out to his son. He's like, his "Get off that boat! Get off that boat!" And 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 yeah, and the, the the wife is like, "Oh, don't worry, he's in the boat. It's fine." And then she's looking at, at a book, book and sees a like a shark attack depicted boat, in the yeah. book, and says, "Did you hear your father? <laughs> Get out of there now!" Yeah, though there's a lot of lot of really great 
uh, really great moment. Yes, great smile, you son of a. Oh yes, which you were. I I I always just assumed I was smile, you son of a. Yeah, but uh, no. To get the twelve rating, you got to keep those squares under. You can have all the smile, you son of a, and and nobody who uh, probably very few people who saw that movie had noticed that, uh, no, no, noticed that it had been. But it's very much smile, you son of a, and it's a great line because yeah. smile, you son of a, boom. Yeah. Yeah, and in, punctuation. It's yeah, fantastic. amazing. Um, yeah, and I like how Spielberg sets it up. Uh, Spielberg very clearly sets up the idea of the oxygen being explosive because one of the first things Brody does is when he tie he unpulls the knot, uh, which is one of those great Brody is basically a child at sea moments. Yeah, he unties the knot and the gas canisters fall, and Quint is like, "Look, that will blow us all up." They're like, "This detail might be important later," but you get these wonderful repeatedly through the film. Spielberg will pan over the gas canisters. Or he'll keep yeah. an eye on the gas canisters. Yeah. Or, and actually, this is one nice touch that I really liked. Really early in the film, when Brody's leafing through that booklet on sharks. Oh, there's yeah. There's a picture of what looks like a shark with its mouth Biting, around, yeah. Biting yeah. an oxygen canister that presumably came from some poor diver. So basically, subconsciously so sets up later on. The, that the, the hero, idea that hero shark. of the movie is actually <laughs> that gas canister. That gas canister. I, and, and another line, last line in the movie... Um, I used to hate the water. And what, what's what's super? I can't imagine that? why. Yeah, which is a great, great. Which is moment. fantastic. Um, <laughs> Hooper and Brody died on the way back there. The <laughs> um, no, unfortunately, Brody appeared in uh, two of the three sequels. He was smart oh, enough to get out before the Voodoo Shark film. Although the Voodoo Shark film heavily implies that Brody had a heart attack owed to the psychological warfare waged upon him by the shark. Wow. Yeah, this is pretty deep, isn't it? Yeah. It's amazing, yeah, people don't talk about it because in a way it's it's arguably a universal horror film. Presumably a lot of people watch the second and third movie. Yeah, well they did fi- financially did very well and it's reference in Father Ted, of course. And there were also like um, there are also lots of great rip-offs. Like my personal favourite um, is Great Ooh. White, released in nineteen eighty two with a thirty million dollar opening weekend, which probably adjusted for inflation is like two hundred and fifty million or something. Um, I should research that before. That's quite a bit. But all of that, all that money was wiped out by a oh, lawsuit. A chunk of change. For, yeah, the prints were burned. Um, it was directed by Enzo G. Castellari, who also made the original film The Inglorious Bastards, which was inspired by Tarantino. But when he directed this film, Great White, about a shark attack in 1982, international marketing was a bit more brazen. Um, it was released under the title The Last Jaws in several oh. international markets. Understandably, Universal were not happy about that and sort of stamped down on it, um, stamped down on it pretty heavily. Yeah, we we need to identify the person whose bright idea that was. <laughs> yeah, one imagines they might have got away with it to a certain point because again, assumably this was in the height of cocaine. It's like it's just call it Jaws, baby. Yeah, we can't do that. How about calling the last Jaws? Uh, Jaws of life. I'll um, tell you what I can't do. Yeah. Don't you Man, tell me. I'm king of the world. I yeah. can fly. Whoa. <laughs> um, that guy right there. He knows what he's doing. Um, but yes. And there was a whole shark exploitation genre. And like... Hoo-wah. Shark exploitation. Well, yeah. A whole genre of films about like killer that sharks. That is a word that I've only just heard. <laughs> you really haven't heard the word shark exploitation. Which, okay. The kind of subgenre... Is it the shark I'm... experience in America? Yeah. Yes, it is tough to be a shark. Uh, um, but stuff like, say, Sharknado, or even like Joe Dante's uh, Piranha. Which Dra- is what about Draxploitation? Like, movies like Blackula. 
Yes, that's clearly a Draxploitation film. That's the only exploitation that is happening there on a cultural level. Um, well, it's Dracula. It is. <laughs> Those Romanians, they never get enough. Have you seen Blackula? Blackula's great. The original Blackula is a fantastic film. And it's yeah, yeah I, I, I would like to see it. I had an opportunity to see it, I think. Yeah. Scream Blackula, Scream. Which a lot is of people have seen Blackula. But Blackula's fantastic. That's another movie we'll never get to, to discuss on this, on this podcast, I presumably. Maybe Scream, Blackula, Scream might be on there. It's the sequel. It is much, much inferior. Under 250? On the bottom 100. On the bottom 100. Just okay. Yeah. Oh, yes. The introduction of Quint. The Blackboard. Yes. I want to actually talk about this, right? Because Jaws is a film with three lead characters. And yep. it doesn't introduce them all together. And it doesn't introduce them in parallel. It introduces Brody. Uh, it waits about 20, 25 minutes. Then it introduces Quint. Then it waits another, say, 10, 15 minutes and introduces hmm. um, Hooper. I think Qu- Quinn's introduction is perhaps the most dramatic. Yeah, in any, it's one of the great introductory sequences in cinema. Hmm. Um, and it's fantastic because it immediately contrasts, we're talking about the masculinity and stuff. Like Brody in those sequences is very cleverly shot by Spielberg. So he's the chief of police, but he has absolutely no authority. Like hmm. in the sequences where Brody is standing up and talking, uh, Spielberg frames the shot so that the sitting down members of the council, including Mayor Vaughn, are much larger than Brody, and Brody's in the background shouting to be heard, and the mm. villagers aren't listening to him. Where, and even when the camera's looking head on them, it's off focus, uh, it's off center. Yeah. Uh, whereas when Quint shows up, and he's jostling about, knocking yeah. things over. Yeah. Almost as bad as Hooper. Yeah. Whereas on the on the other hand, he knocks uh, over some paintbrushes. He does knock over some paintbrushes, which is a nice touch. Whereas Quint is introduced, scraping his nails down the blackboard, and the room immediately turns to his attention, even yeah. though he's sitting down, he's not standing up. He's got nothing to apologize for. No. And the camera, as he's talking, where he's doing that whole great, I'll catch him for three, but I'll kill him. No, I'll hunt him for three, but I'll catch him and kill him for ten. The camera is so captivated on him, like the audience and like the spectators in the room, that it pans in and focuses tightly on him. And it's just like, this is everything, this is all the masculinity that uh, Brody does not have. And it's just focused in Quint. Which, by the way, the end of the film suggests, maybe that's not a good thing. Maybe yeah. it's okay that Brody's not super hyper-masculine, given that Quint is the only one like, of the three who So I'm stupid. Yeah. I'm stupid like a man. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, um, it's a shock. It's a great... And then, and this is the thing, right? Because I, I, I was watching it this time. I've seen it lots of times before. This time... What that I is mean, part of masculinity, isn't it? Why? Being a big, stupid lump. Yeah, and being unapologetic for it. Like, embracing yeah. your stupidity. Um, <laughs> in contrast to, say, Hooper, who is learned and... I don't know anything. Yeah, I'm but I'm, I'm still taking charge. I'm still gonna <laughs> but run. I'm in charge here. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm going to say what's why, whether yeah. it's right or not. Yeah. Um, I'll hunt for three, I'll catch him and kill him for ten. Which um, I believe is a bigger number. Yeah, I <laughs> um, And then there's the scene when he gets up and leaves, uh, which is fantastic. But I noticed this time... It's very Al Pacino. Catch him for true. Who <laughs> you got a great shark? <laughs> you got and a great shark. And you got your head all the way in it. And he's a great, ooh, great grey, grey shark, great big penis. <laughs> oh, <laughs> I get talking about great lights. Something comes out of me, and my throat is very sore after that Al Pacino impression. But he gets up and he leaves, and he takes his little dog with him, which I never noticed before. Quint has a first mate who and his helps him. T- tiny little friend. A tiny little friend and a little dog. And like the first the phrase who's mute, who doesn't have a line of dialogue, because we're, <laughs> we'd already spent all the money hiring the people who could actually deliver dialogue. 
But he helps them load the ship. And he helps them get all his equipment ready. And he carries his dog when the two of them leave the room together. He's, uh, his, he's his life partner. He's his life partner. But he doesn't partake in any they of like, the They never got married. That's yeah. the tragedy that is of the this tragedy movie. Of yeah. But um, he doesn't partake in any shark hunting. It's just like we're friends for everything except the shark hunting. Yeah. Which you imagine for Quint would be a big part of his life. Given that his office is literally full of shark, uh, shark jaws. Which yeah. boils. Like, he's boiling two more of them when Quint and... Uh, sorry, when Hooper and Brody are talking to him. Which is fun, because you imagine... Some, some of it goes into soup. Some of it goes, goes into, into vodka. Shark vodka. Shark vodka. Shark brandy. And again, another great Spielberg moment is the bit where the, the ship's leaving the bay. And he pans up through the jaws of the shark, right? That's, that's, a, nice yes. shot. that's a nice shot of itself, right? But Spielberg has removed one of the, one of the actual teeth in there. So that you will always be able to see the mast. Like, so he's able to pan through, and the way the scene is composed, they travel through the gap in the shark's teeth, which allows him to keep the boat in shot longer, which is a lovely touch. It's a fantastic... He defaced that shark tooth. Yeah. Where do you think they got the shark tooth that Hooper dropped? It's all connected. Ah! Uh, No, it's not. No, it's not a prop. Yeah. (laughs) I see. Any other, other details or memorable scenes that you liked? All the smoking. (laughs) we talked in the last movie um, last i believe it yeah i believe it, it's the it, it should be the last if you're if you're listening to them in order if well, you haven't just be, left your itunes on yeah. <laughs> um, uh yeah yeah because this was 1975 people smoking everywhere yeah yeah. Um, they, 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 yeah the first the first one is during that whole dynamite scare scene yeah where yeah. Bro, where it's sort of Brody calls the deputy. It's great. It's a great scene because Brody's talking on the phone and the deputy's standing outside and he needs to grab the deputy's attention. So he grabs like a bunch of MMs and throws them against the window. And the deputy turns around. He doesn't come in. He turns around and he waves. He's like, "Hi, chief. What you doing in there?" Like, and Brody has to do you the buffoon. Yeah, <laughs> you're just you're but like Hooper over here. Sure, yeah. he drops things, but yeah. <laughs> we, we don't. Uh, yeah, we we don't talk to outsiders. I mean, come on. I'm just humoring you. Um, and he sort of calls the guy in who's smoking a cigarette into the shed <laughs> yes. and the, the scene is composed in such a way that you can see the Texaco oil cans yeah. on the wall like the flammable fuel hanging on the wall everybody smokes everywhere Brody this is takes, the 70s but not even that like, Brody <laughs> takes the cigarette out of the guy's mouth and starts smoking it himself so near the naked <laughs> yeah. field so now they're both culpable yeah no matter what happens. and then later on there's a scene uh, in the in hospital, the morgue in B- it, before, no, it's not even in the morgue. Bef- oh, before, yeah. before the hospital, before, yeah. in um, when uh, it's the when body of Chrissy. Yeah. yeah. Like, this was no boat propeller. Oh, yeah. I love how indignant Hooper is. Hooper is like, uh, haven't you gone out and investigated this? And Brody's like, uh, no, no, no. Didn't, didn't get around to that yet. And Hooper's like, what the fuck? What am I dealing with here? Um, this is n- no boat accident is <laughs> yeah. this. Yeah. Um, and he's so righteous and indignant. He's like, this is a small town cover-up. You don't have to tell me. I know this is a small town cover-up. Yeah, yeah. You haven't told the Coast Guard? <laughs> you should be calling in the National Guard, my friend. By the way, Coast Guard never... <laughs> do, do the Coast Guard ever no, arrive? They no. never show up. Yeah. Uh, but in fairness, Quint, is, Quint smashes the radio, um, to be fair. Mm, yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, Hooper's like... Because uh, Brody's... Is it Brody smoking in that case? Or is it the coroner? It's probably the car. <laughs> um, and basically, people are smoking in the morning. Everybody's smoking except for the dead body. Yeah, and Hooper, who's like, please, please, can we have a bit of professionalism here? Yeah, yeah, don't smoke in here. Um, next next time you see somebody it. smoking is in an actual hospital ward. Yes, it is. It's Mayor Vaughn. Mayor Vaughn. Yeah, he's yeah. very concerned about all Smoking for his nerves. Yeah, you know, it helps settle them, you know? 
doesn't. Uh, no, not at all, it turns out. No. Uh, <laughs> yeah, we're, we're speaking to you from the future, uh, Larry Vaughn. Those cigarettes don't help your nerves. No, it turns out. Oh, and also, don't smoke them in hospitals. Um, but far, far be it from us. To cast judgment Far be it from it. us. Far be it for us. Far be it for us. Thank oh, you. All right, Welcome then. to Idiom Watch. Yes. Um, <laughs> this is what happens when you meet a stranger in the Alps. <laughs> the body in the morning on the dunes is eaten by crabs. Covered by crabs. If, and again, you could argue there's some sexual imagery there as well. Not the in venereal the, disease. Yes, that's what I was about to say. You have an impotent man and you've got a woman covered in crabs. Um, <laughs> now you say my gender thing is a deep read, Andrew. Now you say my gender thing is a deep read. It was there all along. Yeah. You're, you're, you're always looking at people in this movie wondering, I wonder if they're going to get eaten. Yeah. Even hope, though they're on hope, land. Hope they don't get eaten. Yeah. Or hope, unless hope it's Mare they Vaughan. do get yeah. eaten. Or Mare Vaughan or that nice, you're never an islander woman. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She, 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 she can go straight to Shark. Sharkville. Yeah. Um, oh, by the way, so you work in Shark. Yes. Yeah, so so, so, no, so, so you work so, in Shark. So, so, yeah. yeah. I've never put it like that. Yeah. Is, is, is that what it is? It's like... Um, yeah, yeah, you work in Shark. And he's like, yeah, I never put it like that, but I've always Which is brilliant. It. I felt like a lot of that scene was, was improvised. improvised. Because they're both kind of um, Hooper and... Um, Brody and the Brody wife. Brody and the wife just seem so giggly yeah. in that. And it's really enjoyable. And it's a great scene. It also, it's like, it proves that Brody's... Like, the conversation begins with the wife and Hooper actually talking and conversing. And you yeah. see sort of Brody's locked out, or Brody's sort of, like, he's feeling like he's not a part of this conversation. Like, Oh, are you, are you, are you talking about, uh, I think we both like, love this scene. Oh, that it was a kid as well. Yes. There's a lovely little scene as well. And this gets into the idea that Brody has to go back and become a boy before he can become a man. Mm. Like, he's been completely useless throughout the film to this point. He hasn't actually done anything. A bunch of people got killed. Sitting at the dinner table with his son... And his son is, like, miming him. His son is basically mimicking his actions. So, you know, he's resting his head in his hands. He's crossing them. Yeah. And there's just this, this lovely shot. So the scene goes on for about, say, 20 seconds. And the audience is sort of figuring out what's happening. It's, and then you it's get really Brody. sweet. Yeah. yeah, Brody realizes what's happening. Yeah. And he plays, like, the mimic game where he makes the scary face at him. Yeah. Which is, which is really nice because later on, when they're on the... And Spielberg has, again, Jaws has all these lovely little setups and callbacks. Later on, when they're on the boat... When Quint says something that's, you know, vaguely anti-Semitic, but not explicitly anti-Semitic, um, about uh, Hooper. Hooper proceeds to make funny faces behind him. And when he's climbing up in the mast, he's also making funny faces behind him as well. So you have that nice sort of childishness playing through the film. What's the vaguely anti-Semitic? I can't remember. He does something about how Hooper doesn't know anything. Around. Oh! I, yeah, I didn't read it like that. I, I, I think it was like... Um... <laughs> Just do this as Al Pacino from now on. Yeah. It's like, thought you had enough education to yeah, tell when you no when you've made a mistake. Oh, that's what it is. Yeah. To admit when you made a mistake. Ooh. Ooh, ah. um, the voice of the voice of Quint on this podcast has been supplied kindly by Al Pacino. Yeah. Um, but yeah, sorry. So he does, and then Hooper makes faces at him. And there's the nice thing where. Um, there's also another little, oh, a nice official callback where there's there's that scene as well. There's so much good stuff in that scene. Sorry. Yeah. Um, no, no, no. Where where Hooper says, "Is anyone eating this?" And just oh yeah, and he just sort of grabs and, the food over. Yeah, and 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 it, and it quite it it it's 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 quite clearly Brody staring. Yeah, because <laughs> Brody is looking at it saying, "No, I'm, 
almost too drunk to. Oh, we we spoke about that that line. I'm not drunk enough to get on a boat. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, no, and again, that's another example of Hooper emasculating Brody. Yeah. And Hooper is the nerdy one, by the way. It should it should be clear. Yeah. Hooper, Hooper is very nerdy, and yet he's still able to come on. He he questions Brody's ability to lead. He points out all the errors that are being made on the dock. He draws Brody's attention to the guy with the dynamite. He yeah. literally steals Brody's dinner. In and, the book, and yet Hooper screws Brody's wife. What? Yeah. And uh, we'll talk about the, the novel maybe in a little bit later on. <laughs> um, but yeah, this is to give you an idea of how thoroughly emasculated Brody is by Ooh. Hooper, who is not super masculine. Quint still doesn't recognise game. <laughs> no, no, <laughs> no, he no, no. He he tends to defer to he like it feels like um yeah, he was he was certainly giving Brody a lot more slack. Yes. I think a lot of that was down to the whole treating Brody as a child thing as well. Yeah. Where he teaches him how to, he does the more, the eel comes out of the cave and the eel goes around. Here's an interesting thing for you, right? Spielberg, speaking of Spielbergian themes, right? Yeah. You could argue, right? So Spielberg went on after this to do Close Encounters with Richard Dreyfus, which is fun because there was a time in the 70s where like Richard Dreyfus was like the leading man, which is very strange to think about in hindsight. I love Richard Dreyfus, but he's, he's not a conventional amazing. leading man. And the same way that's sort of in the middle great of the Great emotional range. Oh, he does. And he's got great presence. And he's... Like, you can fit him in anything and he will, he will work pretty well. Um, and I think the same thing happened... Spielberg did the same thing with Goldblum during the 90s. Like, remember a time in the 90s when Jeff Goldblum was our Vin Diesel? When he did, like, Jurassic Park. He did Independence Day. What? He did The Lost World. Like, there was a point where when you were going to the cinema to see a blockbuster, you were probably going Arvin to see Jeff. Arvin Diesel. <laughs> yeah. well, I, you, you dispute that category? I don't... Yeah, I'm, I'm, I never signed off on that. I, I think there's an argument to be made, and I think it's a strong one. But there's a point... He's like the Vin Diesel of our time. Yeah, of the 90s. Jeff yeah. Goldblum. That was what a time to be alive. Where you're sort of looking at Richard Dreyfus and thinking, you know, this man is not a conventional leading man, yet somehow it's happened, and it's great that it's happened. Um... But yeah, so Spielberg's sort of next film being Close Encounters and being very Spielbergian. Uh, but it has the theme, and James Lipton, is it James Lipton from the Actors Studio? Yeah, I think it is James Lipton. He pointed out very astutely that Close Encounters of the Third Kind is a film about how making contact with aliens, people use music and science and bring them together um, in order to make contact with aliens, where Spielberg's divorced parents were a concert musician and an electrical engineer who worked with computers. And so Spielberg, who's one of his big themes is family dissolution, was in his own way in Close Encounters bringing the family back together, where his father's uh, computer experience and his mother's uh, musical experience were being used to sort of harmonize and to make contact. Now, wow! If you and Spielberg, this is great. If you Richard Dreyfus, you, you watch, are a delight. If you watch the Inside the Actors Studio with Spielberg, uh, with Lipton, it's fantastic because Spielberg's kind of like, actually, I never thought about it like that, but now I don't have to pay for therapy anymore. Um, wow. fantastic because uh, he's like I never really realised it until you pointed out but in Jaws with, 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 with Lipton with, with Richard Dreyfuss no, no, with Steven Spielberg with Steven Spielberg wow Steven Spielberg's like I never realised about my work but now that you put it oh in I words, do beg like, your pardon yeah. Steven Spielberg who is fantastic you not really an actor a so it may not have been let us the talk about Close Encounters yes um, but love a bit of James Lipton Interestingly, I think you could make a very strained and stretched argument, which hasn't stopped us yet. Oh, that Jaws. Uh, we're entering the strained and stretched argument zone, which has doesn't have its own theme song in that. No, but you could convincingly, enough, okay, you could convincingly in inverted commas, <laughs> but you could with no, the, I'm listening with a deep read. We're getting in for a deep read here. Ooh. Are you ready? Suggest 
that Jaws is about a dissolved, is about a family unit where Brody is cast as the child, Quint is cast as the uh, temperamental artist. He believes in instinct. He ha- he thinks there's an art to killing a shark. Hooper is cast as the engineer or scientist, and together they use their methods to catch the shark and to help Brody become a man. You could wow. suggest that perhaps this is setting up some of Spielberg's themes that he would kind of hit home in Close Encounters of the Third Kind. Is that too much for me? Well, li- listeners, you, you can only hear us. You can't see us. Behind Darren on, on his wall are n- numerous charts and projections. and um, A giant portrait of Sigmund Freud. Yeah, yeah. And, and um, he has lines going in between all of the different pieces of paper yeah. indicating their connection. Somehow. Yeah. Uh, yeah, that's the way we work here. We all worry about Darren. <laughs> very, very much. When no, no, the, 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 to, to, be, to be serious. That, that's, yeah, it's, it, um, when, when you find something like that and, and you're able to kind of... Connect. Yeah, yeah, it's, 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 it's interesting. Now, yeah. Now, it, it, it is a bit of a reach, to be fair. It's a bit of a reach. But I think nothing I'm, wrong with a bit of a reach. No, nothing at all. Scar bonding, like that. Great scene, mostly improvised. The Indianapolis yeah. story. USS out. Indianapolis. Yeah, they they as as the other actors were talking, the um, some of the actors in the scene were cutting themselves scars so yeah, that they just could improvise. Have something to talk about. Yeah. Uh, then we'll move on to sort of the film's legacy, which I think is important to talk about when you're talking about Jaws, because as you you mentioned it earlier and we sort of alluded to it. Jaws was the first big studio blockbuster, really. It and Star Wars changed the way that we talk about movies and the way that we perceive movies and the way that movies are treated as events. Mm. Um, now, it was the... Which is fascinating, right? Because Jaws had a very strange life story when it comes to its production history, right? Uh, Peter Benson pitched the yes. novel. Um, it both wrote the first five pages, sold them, um, delivered the rest of the novel... Publisher didn't like the novel originally, and it is not a good novel as it was finished because they found the first. They rarely are these yeah. these these great movies. Yeah, like The Godfather is very yeah. much it's a pulpy, trashy book. The novel is is interesting. I've read it myself. It's much more like the people are the real monsters, uh, and it's much more interested in the character dynamics. And everybody is really unlikable. Again, Hooper has an affair with Brody's wife in it to give you an idea of the kind of stuff that Spielberg cut. Spielberg very famously read the book. And declared that he was rooting for the shark, uh, which is not an inaccurate statement of where the book is. Well, I can appreciate that. Like the the um, the, the big town uh, city slickers who look down on their nose are are, are the intelligentsia or um, any any of the kind of halves would 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 look at the town of uh, Amity Island or the island of Amity Island and think. These these guys deserve to get eaten. They, <laughs> they really they, should be. Yeah, yeah. Sport. They're 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 just they're just a lot of ticks. But basically, the the rights were bought. Um, I as as in I can see people rooting for, rooting the, shark. for the shark. Sorry, go on. Well, no, but I mean seriously, the, the, the characters are seriously unlikable. Um, seriously unlikable. Mayor Vaughn. Imagine the entire cast was Mayor Vaughn. Wow. That's pretty much what we're rooting there. Mayor Vaughn and, and that woman who talks about never being an islander. And <laughs> yeah. there's adultery involved as well. But um, the film the film rights were bought almost immediately. And what's fascinating about Jaws is that it wasn't, as a novel, part of its success as a novel was actually built 
by its success, by the brand success of the film production. So they decided before they started making the film, they were going to turn the book into a bestseller in order to make the film more valuable. Which is part of the reason why the, the film's iconography and logo, it was designed so that everything associated with the film, the novelization, uh, the posters, everything like that, would have the same cover and the same image to create a brand recognition with it. Right. Which is very clever. The book was mailed out to various opinion formers um, and influential people. Now, this obviously, was it rewritten before? Uh, it wasn't rewritten, I believe. It was. It was guided. So, Benchley, so they sent out this terrible book. Oh, it was a terrible book. <laughs> Benchley's, well, Benchley's first draft was heavily rewritten, but as, as the book finished, it was not a good book. I would argue it's not a good book either. But it was sent out to various opinion formers, including like critics uh, and pundits and stuff, but also like Ooh. restaurant owners. Um, and stuff like that in high society in Los Angeles and New York. Restaurant owners. Well, the idea was to get people talking about it. They wanted. Did they they sent it to Barbara Streisand's uh, uh, hairdresser. Joel Silver. Um, that sort of thing to get people talking. The idea was that you'd have interactions with people who'd be like, "I just read this book. It's it's fantastic. It's so trashy. It's brilliant." And then they sent it into production with Spielberg. Production was noticeably and historically troubled. Uh, it ran massively over in terms of budget, in terms of production. The shark prop didn't work. Now, according to those involved behind the scenes, there, was, there were rumours that Universal was considering tra- thrashing it or trashing it. That, that never happened, but they were very nervous about it, particularly when, well, they, when they screened it internally. Apparently, studio executives saw the cut of Jaws that was released, and they, they thought it was okay, they didn't think it was great, and they thought for the money they'd yeah. sunk into it, it wasn't going to work. It wasn't until they screened it in front of an audience that they realised what they had. Wow. Yeah, it was it was probably fortunate as well that at the point when the studio were having jitters, they were on a boat and the studio can't stop them <laughs> yeah. now. Yeah, they're going to take that boat to the moon somehow. Yeah, yeah, just just keep filming. Yeah, just they, keep like they've broken the radio. <laughs> yeah. The studio can't. We we conveniently shot Robert Shaw breaking the radio so the studio could tell us to stop filming. Yeah, and we just kept rolling. Um, but and then it was here's the thing, right? So. When you talk about Jaws being the first blockbuster, right? A lot of that doesn't necessarily involve the plot or the structure of the film or the scale of the film or whatever. It involves the distribution model of the film, which is interesting to movie nerds like me. It's probably very boring to everybody else. Up until that well, let's point, let's see. <laughs> we'll Up until that point, summer was not seen as a point for releasing uh, big budget films. Because uh, no, people want to be outside. People want to be outside when it's sunny. Uh, yeah. They want to be at the beach having fun, swimming. <laughs> Um, that, yeah. So this movie tells you no, no, don't go to the don't beach. Ever go. Swim. Don't ever go. to the don't cinema. Do that, you idiot. Yeah. Um, and there traditionally films were rolled out the way that we treat independent films today, where films would begin small and they'd roll out, and the idea was that basically they would spread through word of mouth and they'd roll out gradually. The only time that they released films in cinemas uh, simultaneously and a large scale before this point was for B-movies, where they knew that the word of mouth was going to be terrible. It was like dropping a bomb all at once. Jaws changed the distribution model where it was released all at once, in the middle of summer, in complete hype, which had never Mm. really been done before for a big-budget studio prestige film. Um, And it's the way that we now treat the standard model for blockbusters. And it made a massive amount of money, proved that people were willing to go to the cinema in the summertime, um, and that then led, that with with the success of Star Wars on top of it, led to the current model that we had which arose uh, as a response... So George Lucas and Steven Spielberg, Spielberg invented yeah. contemporary uh, cinema, um, or the way that we think of it now. And particularly in response to, say, the auteur-driven uh, mode of the 70s, which we'll mm. talk about when we get a film like, say, Apocalypse Now or The Godfather, where yeah. the studio model was more like... Yeah, 
Because we, we think of George Lucas and Steven Spielberg very much as, as defining the same sort of era, whereas we, 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 we don't think of them in the same um, way as... Way as yeah, yeah, yeah. But no, they, they, they invented it. And it's, it's interesting to watch Jaws with that in mind because it's not structurally a blockbuster. It's not... It doesn't feel akin no, to the movie. I was just thinking that while while while, while watching it, like a, like even the stuff where exciting things are happening, it's very much a small town. Yeah, uh, and they're on the beach, and they're regular kind of people just kind of doing their thing, and there isn't that kind of threat of the end of the world. No, no, yeah, that we scale. think of now when we think of a blockbuster. But there's also the three act structure of the film is very interesting to me. Because it's, it's the kind of thing that I don't think you get away with today, right? So the first half takes place on the island. Um, and it takes place with the shark attacks. And it takes place, uh, basically, Brody trying to get the town uh, to focus up and pay attention. And then the second half drops the entire supporting cast, including uh, Brody's wife, including Mayor Vaughan, including the sad grieving, mur- uh, the sad grieving mother, um, the families. All the mute sidekick. The mute sidekick, the dog. And goes off... On the ocean alone with these three guys hanging out hunting a shark. It's almost like it becomes a completely different film. Mm. And I think it's, it's fascinating. I think the two halves work very, very well together. Mm. Um, I think that the first half about the town community under pressure. Um, and I think that's probably why we've talked about it for as long as we have. Because it is, it is very much, it's two movies. Yeah. But it's two movies stitched together in a way that works and, organically. And, and the first movie... Um suggests the second movie it, aside from just kind of logically of course yeah um it's the it, it's built this team of masculinity and it's yeah. like let's ditch everything else except these three guys yeah and then we can actually have this conversation yeah. so we've had this conversation about how brody's not really a man and how Hooper's yeah. a different sort of man and how quint is a stereotypical man let's follow that yeah let's drop the small town corruption Let's drop this idea of a community culpability and stuff like that. Let's mm. drop this idea of insider and outsider, mostly. Uh, and let's actually talk about... Yeah, be, be, because actually some of the insider-outsider um, stuff goes away once they're on... On the uh, boat, because the they're boat. all literally yeah. in the same boat. Yeah, especially um, once they get drunk. By the way, um, nothing, uh, nothing's better for a hangover than a bit of a shark hunt yeah, in the gets, morning. Yeah, gets the blood flowing. Yeah. So I sort of I think we've uh, we've kind of talked about it uh, a lot in terms of we talked about it for two hours and a half nearly at this point. Oh, so, <laughs> so I love how our attempt to impose more structure upon the podcast obviously paid off. So let's take a little bit and talk about its place in the IMDb top two hundred and fifty movies um, of all time. Um, so basically, um, first of all, first question, Andrew. Do you think Jaws deserves to be on the IMDb top 250 movies of all time? Absolutely. I don't think there's any question there. I no. don't think that anybody uh, would question it. And I think that it's... Sure, there are people, but... Um... Hipsters. <laughs> Hipsters, Andrew. That's what, the, that's what those people are. I feel like being from 1975 probably helps, helps it to... to, to, um, to, to... I, yeah, maybe, maybe hipsters at the time would have been like, oh, all this jealous stuff. It's just too much. It's like drowning yeah. me out now. At this no, point, I, I think it's recognized rightly as, as, as a huge, classic, defining movie. Part of me, see, that's the thing. Part of me sort of speculates that a lot of whatever, if there is a, if there could be considered to be a Jaws backlash, um, is the one that lumps it in as the father of the modern blockbuster cinema, where I think there is a, a response to it. Mm. Where it is sort of treated as something. Yeah, I think Star Wars is maybe more guilty 
in <laughs> in 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 those terms. Well, it does because it, it went the Joseph Campbell route and it, it sort yeah. of set the template or, yeah. more than the distribution model, which I think Jaws is responsible for. Yeah, where 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 the um, where it's spectacle. Yeah, as opposed to an actual story, which I think Jaws exactly. is. Yeah. I think Jaws works very well as a thematic work, given that we've talked about it for two hours. As a <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, and it works quite well in the same scene, given we've also talked Whereas about it. Whereas if we were talking about Star Wars, we could say, so themes, good yeah. versus evil. Yeah, dad stuff. Yeah. Uh, although that's more Empire Strikes Back, really. Um, Maybe we could talk more about that. <laughs> yeah. All right, then. So let's talk about, okay, so where it ranks, should it be higher or lower than where it is? So it's currently ranked at 226, right? Yeah. So I think that was roughly where it was when... When, when we, we announced that we were going to do it. We may have yeah. taken a break for a little while um, <laughs> off there. It's three places above Prisoners, which we talked about on the podcast before. Mm. Uh, do you think it deserves to be at least three yeah, places it, above it Prisoners? It deserves to be at least three places. This, this is the thing about Jaws that I said when I saw it first. I think when, when, while we were doing Prisoners, I, was, I, I noticed Jaws way down there. And this, yeah. this is... These are the best movies, according Ever, to yes. IMDb. Um, so it deserves to be on the list. It deserves to be higher. It does. I really it's, think that putting it around it's that good. Is like I'm, I'm not the uh, movie expert that you are, but watching it is like every scene. Yes. It's just like there's no fat on it, which is no. remarkable for a film like that has the. the as as I say, the the only thing I didn't like was um, do I like things I didn't like. The 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 shark prop, um, people that didn't get eaten. <laughs> people who should have got eaten. But people should have got eaten. Yeah, yeah I, I I could do without that boy getting eaten. To be honest. Oh, would you? Would you, would sub, you would substitute out, would you? Um, no, no, no. All right then. All right, so we're all agreed that it should be there. We think it probably should be a little bit higher. Absolutely. Um, it's been there in the list since the very beginning. Um, now let's take a look at. The In and Out chart, Andrew. In and Out chart, coming in at number one hundred and twelve, which, which is, is a very high entry. Yeah, we have a we have a few high entries this week. This is uh, Bachea, Yay, Asaman, and I do beg your pardon if I'm butchering that. It's also known as uh, Children, Children of Heaven, directed by uh, Majid Majadi. Do you know anything about this whatsoever? This is a 1997 movie. No, I don't. Um, I'm aware of it. Came sometime. in at 106. Yeah, highest rank is 106 back in May 2016. Was... So, strange one, this. Uh, it's, yeah, it's, <laughs> it's, it's, it's a 1997 movie that, that entered the chart very high. And it's in... been gradually dropping over the past three weeks. Yeah. Uh, which is, is quite surprising. And then disappeared completely. Oh, and, no, it hasn't. And, no, no, it and, only, it and only now it's here. back. No, it only came in, oh, in, in I beg your pardon. within the past month. Yeah. So for, it debuted in late May at 106. It's currently at 112. Um, it's been sort of trailing downwards over the last three weeks, uh, which is interesting. I never heard of this. Uh, it's apparently one of the year's best crowd pleasers, according to... Uh, 1997. Yeah, according to 1997. Uh, which one is... of 1997's best crowd pleasers for 2016. Yeah. So Children of Heaven is a 1997 Iranian family drama written and directed by Majid Majad. It deals with a brother and sister and their adventures uh, over a lost pair of shoes. That's right, Darren. It, it, it was nominated for the Academy Award for Best Foreign Language Movie in 1998. I, Let's take a remember, look. Remember, remember the Oscars that year? Um, all, all the categories just roll off my tongue. Yeah. In fact, let's take a look back. And see what film actually won against. And by, by that year, I of course mean 1999. 
No, well, it would have been, yeah, it would have been the um, the Oscar ceremony. Would have yeah, been like in, it was yesterday. Which Spielberg ironically won um, the Best Director Oscar that year uh, for his work in Saving Private Ryan. That's uh, right. That was the year when Saving Private Ryan won everything, apart from Best Foreign Language <laughs> Movie, yeah. which of uh, course was Children of Heaven. Beautiful. No, no, Children of Heaven was uh, oh nominated. was nominated. Life is beautiful. Life is beautiful. Uh, which also wow. won Best Of course, as well, actually. Uh, for I, I was that was. The, uh, <laughs> Roberto Benigni. Yes, yeah, I did. I, I was. Um, of course, I know that. Okay, cool. Um, and then also coming in, Tokyo uh, Story at 144, which is remarkable. It's amazing to think that it dropped out uh, at all, uh, which is astounding. It's been there since 2005, which also seems very, um, very late entry for a film that was released in 1953. Yes, Shinjiro Ozu. Can, yeah. you, can you tell me about him? Yeah, so Japanese film director uh, began his work during the. Uh, the silent era. So he's responsible for films like Late Spring, Floating Weeds, and An Autumn Afternoon. Um, he was voted, uh, sorry, his Tokyo Story was voted the greatest film of all time by world directors in the 2012 Sight and Sound poll, mm. uh, which, to be fair, probably corresponds to its uh, late re-entry. Uh, well, yeah. it re-entered the chart around about 2011, 2012. It could be. Which would have been a nice spike. Which was the buzz. Which was the buzz, uh, which got it in. Uh, it all dropped this, out uh, yeah. again in late 2012, so around about July. The, the, the makers of this 1953 movie um, never gave up. No, they, they kept <laughs> trying to get In 2011. They finally had a breakthrough with the Sight exactly. Sound poll and with its rankings on the IMDb Top yeah, 150. Not without a bit of work. <laughs> um, it's astounding to think that it re-entered the chart in late May at 140, which is quite a jump from being not on the chart at all. So it was on the chart... Um, it's appeared very, very briefly in December 2015. Sorry, December 2005. Then, it re-entered in sort of mid-2011, 2012, around wait, the time of the Sight and Sound Wait till it gets that 250 bump. Yeah. Um, as, as, as soon as people hear about it. And want to check out Tokyo Story, which is, is yes. Is By all accounts. A masterpiece. Another foreign language movie, I can only assume, is La Nati da Cabiria? A.K.A. Right? Knights of Cabiria. Uh, which was made in 1957, and I actually, I'm afraid to admit, I know very, very little about. It's a Fellini film. It is a Fellini film, uh, which perhaps explains it. This is not the first Fellini movie that we've that's seen in the In and Out chart, is it? No, I think uh, like no, not Life is Beautiful. Sorry, that's the wrong one. Uh, we're thinking of the Dolce Vita. Dolce Vita. Um, yes. Which came in and out, I think, a couple of weeks ago as well. A lot of Italian movies. Yes. Um, no also, Sun's Room. Yeah, there was. Uh, no <laughs> Sun's Room, unfortunately. The Sun's Room watch continues. So the Legend of 1900 was another one as well. That's right. Director, yeah. Giuseppe Tornatore, the director of um, sorry, Cinema Paradiso. But yes, so um, Knights of Cabiria has been in and out um, since around about... Again, it's another entry in 2005. For the listener, that's nights with an N, not a K. Yeah, just in case. La uh, Notte de Cabiria. I apologise for my terrible Italian or Italian. We'll maybe get an Italian on the podcast when when when, when okay. we're when we're required to cover these movies. All right. Um, so that's in there. Um, that's in there. And then Kind the, Hearts and Coronets. In again. In again. Obviously, it dropped in and out since our last century, which is uh, we wholeheartedly recommend that. That's the Ealing Studios. Alec Guinness. Uh, love a bit of Alec Guinness. Who doesn't love a bit of Alec Guinness, apart from that poor child in that story they tell about Star Wars? Oh, no. <laughs> so let's, <laughs> let's look at what's dropped out. Yes. Who cares? Who's afraid of Virginia Woolf? 
Which who's he, afraid of who's afraid of Trillian Wolf? Apparently, I'm to be top 250 voters, Andrew. That's who's afraid. Um, Got there eventually. <laughs> which is remarkable because I believe, and listeners will probably correct me here if I get this wrong, but all four named character roles in Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf were nominated for acting Oscars. I believe the two actresses won. I believe it's also one of only two films with Cimarron, I think, to have uh, been nominated for every eligible Oscar. So there's a bit of uh, Oscar Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf trivia for you in your next Virginia Woolf-related Trivia round. That is astonishing. Which is an astonishing run. Astonishing that is some trivia. nice trivia, Darren. That is some very nice trivia. I'm, even if it's wrong, I'm proud that I said it now. Um, but yeah, that's the famous one with Elizabeth Taylor and Richard Burton. It's phenomenal to watch. Um, although, again, it's a Mike Nichols film. It is more familiar as a stage play. And I'm, I'm not, like, I'm going to be honest, I'm not entirely convinced that it works much better as a film than it does as a stage play. Uh, which I would argue is a requirement for being considered a great film. Uh, it's a great story. It's a great script. Citizen Kane. I mean, it was mostly stage actors with with a, with a mostly stage director. His uh, f- first but, first movie. I mean, it was very much a film. It is very much a film. Like I, that's what I'm saying. I don't think Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf has anything akin to those those great shots, the sweeping shots. Or, mm. you know, the yeah, it, 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 yeah. Citizen Kane seems like a movie. Made by people who were doing theatre in order to make movies and just itching to, <laughs> to, to get a chance to have a camera. Yeah. Whereas yeah. he's afraid of Virginia Woolf occasionally feels more like somebody put a camera in a stage play. Yeah, yeah. It's more of an adaptation. More, yes. Yeah. Uh, which, you know, I, I liked it. I think it's great. I think the four central performances um, are Also great. Richard Burton. Well, also Elizabeth Taylor when she was good. When Elizabeth Taylor was good, she was great. Yeah, I mean, I think Taylor's reputation. I need, I need to revisit her. I have, of, of, I remember her from Cleopatra. Yes, which, and in fairness, Richard Bruton was also in um, Richard Bruton. Richard, Richard, <laughs> apologies John, John to Bruton's Richard Burton. Letter. Yes, apologies to Richard Burton, who is not the Irish politician named Richard Bruton. Um, but yes, Richard Burton was also in Cleopatra. I think Mark Anthony, if I remember correctly, right? I believe so. Um, during the years. So also dropped out from the charts. Uh, is D250's The Man Who Shot Liberty Valance. A Which movie like in that, and out again. that you may know from the in and out. <laughs> yeah, as opposed to actually knowing that it exists. <laughs> yeah. uh, we've talked about it before. We're not going to talk about it uh, again. Um, let's take a look. The that Grand. would be the day. Uh, uh, that was terrible. We're working, working on, on it. Working and it on I think that's why it keeps coming in and out. It's, it's, it's just so that we can work on our James Stewart and, uh, and and John Wayne impression. That was my John Wayne. It's difficult, and to, it's, it's difficult to tell. To be fair. But yes, so The Grand Illusion, a Jean Renard's um, 1937 film, which I actually have to admit I haven't seen. I'm not nearly as good on classic. I don't have to admit I haven't seen it. <laughs> okay, fine. I have to admit I haven't seen it, though. Um, I haven't seen it. Classic French film. Um, and then finally, dropping out at 250 itself. Oh, dropping out. Is before sunset. Well, uh, it went from two fifty to out of here. Which is strange to think about because you'd imagine with the release of Everybody Wants Some, yeah, and with Linklater's Boyhood Oscar, you'd imagine that his work would be sort of buoyed almost. Yeah, it, it there, Boyhood Boy. Hey, Bef- before before sunset seemed to me like a movie for a certain kind of a period in one's life where you like to walk around. 
talking nonsense. Um, <laughs> yes, uh, it is, but it's very good at that. Yeah. It's sort of like, I, I uh, believe 500 like, Days of Summer does the same sort of yeah. thing when you're a young man trying to figure out love. Yeah. Uh, and you look back years later and go, Jesus, I was stupid. Yeah. Um, and sort of maybe with Before Sunset, there's an element of that. I was an indulgent... Yeah, people talking about things that they don't really understand. Uh, yeah, yeah, which is which, which is which is what people do. What and, I still and, do, and but... not at all what this podcast is about. <laughs> no, in no way, shape, or form are we talk about things we don't understand, like sharks being not giant phalluses and oceans being giant vaginas. <laughs> not at all what this podcast does. All right then. No, sir. So having having concluded that, I think the only thing left to do is to pick the movie that we're going to do next week. Now, we're going to spice things up a bit here, Andrew. Would you like to explain how we're going to spice things up? Yeah, we're going to spice things up by seriously messing with the program. Previous to this point, in the interminable run of three episodes, you, you may have gotten used to good movies. Now, we've decided that that was, um, if not a terrible idea, certainly an incomplete idea. Because what about... What about the bad movies? What about the bad movies? And by that you're wondering, kind of, oh, what, the movies that didn't make the 250? No. Not quite. No, no. We're, we're talking about the movies that are so terrible that they find a place in the bottom 100. The worst 100 movies ever made, according to IMDb voters. Worst. So, what we're going to do is... We won't do an in and out check. No, for that. They don't deserve it. Well, they're all out in the end. Yes. What we're going to do is we're going to introduce basically negative numbers um, into our random number calculator. And basically, if it gives Ooh. us a negative number, what we're going to do is we're going to watch that button, that, num- that movie on the, negative, uh, on the negative 100. And what we're going to do is we're going to keep doing that until we end up with a movie on the bottom 100. And when that happens, we're going to watch it, we're going to talk about it. It's going to be so terrible that we're going to go back to talking about good movies for a couple of weeks before we return to this experiment. So at the moment, there is a chance, there is a roughly two-thirds chance of us getting a good movie. And mm. a, uh, sorry, a three-thirds chance of us, a three-fifths chance of us, Darren does not <laughs> a three-fifths chance of us getting a good movie, and a two-fifths chance of us getting a bad movie. Andrew, would you do the honours of clicking the number generator there, and let's see what number falls out. Let's see those fifths. 64, Sixty-four! Which means we're going to be talking... We've, we've cleared the 200s. We have. We've actually, we're, at a, we're actually going to be talking about a film that people consider to be much, much better than Jaws. Yeah, one Let's, of the top 100 movies of ever all, made. Ever made. And this we, is going to be a good one. And it's going to be... Ooh, pretty good. It is. Aliens. Aliens. The James Cameron 1986 sequel to Ridley Scott's Alien which is great we're going to talk about that yeah next. If, 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 if you want something to listen to in the meantime um, uh, I was there too have a number of episodes now um, about uh, about aliens and people who who, who worked on aliens as, as the, um, the marines of course Paul Reiser also in that movie he's oh, great but we'll talk about that we'll be week. talking about that next week so with that in mind um, let's get to playing the trailer for Alien just tell me one thing, Burke. You're going out there to destroy them, right? Not to study, not to bring back, but to wipe them out. That's the plan. All right, people, on the ready line. Yeah. I am me. Yeah. Yeah. I am me.
Where's your light up here? Keep back, don't scare. Movement. Talk to me, Hudson. Uh, I got signals. I got readings in front and behind. There's nothing back here. Look, I'm telling you, there's something moving and it ain't us. Get them out of there. the best trailer we've seen so far it really is um, um, I'm excited about this movie the, even though you've already seen it quite a few times no I the thing about Aliens is I don't know if I have oh fantastic well we'll talk about that next week yeah we'll I'll just queue in and we'll, uh, we'll call and we'll talk about uh, s- certainly it's been long enough ago that I don't remember that <laughs> much much watching the trailer I'm like who's that guy what's he doing hey there's oh. Paul Reiser this is exciting great I'm actually really excited about that as well so let's before we bid farewell talk about what we're doing and where the listeners can reach us to complain about the massive length of our episodes uh, strenuous readings uh, misunderstandings oh, oh, oh. of masculinity uh, and continuity <laughs> difficulties difficulties pronouncing the names of certain actors or characters you know what like we need a guest we really do and we actually point. know yeah, yeah. what they're going so, so tweet us we'd, we'd love to have you on the show if 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 you, you, know if you live on planet Earth and want to talk in in English or to an interpreter um, about movies, then then yeah. and if if you know what you're talking about, you're way ahead of the two of us. Yeah, exactly. And yeah, they, they, if 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 you can talk in 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 a way that can be heard, um, yeah, tweet us a q u i n n i u q a is me. That's a quinuka. Which is, I believe, a palindrome. Which I believe is a palindrome. Cool. Uh, I'm Darren underscore Mooney, uh, which is much more straightforward. Um, I am also, uh, I blog at the Movie Blog, I occasionally write at uh, journal.ie, and I occasionally write for a podcast with Scanlon about more recent or more contemporary movies. Um, I'm working on a book at the moment, uh, which should hopefully be at bookstands near you soon on my talk about uh, we, we've been talking about not a lot yet. of stuff, not at the moment. We can, we can uh, still hint. We can still hint. Uh, it's Andrew, exciting, what folks. At the what am I up to at the moment? At the moment, um, eating a lot of hot sauce. Uh, Is it good? It's some of it's good. Some of it's good. Uh, don't recommend? don't go to don't go to Max and Spencer's for your hot sauce. Do go to Aldi. Funny enough. All right. Uh, and with that note, Ancona, very hot. On that note, we will leave you. See you next week, guys. Bye. Bye bye.